Hello, everyone, and welcome back to The Other Castle. The Other Castle, our emo phase continues this week. I'm Andrea. And my name is Tom. And we are the podcast that gives you the plot, lore, and more behind all your favorite video games. We get into the behind-the-scenes drama, the on-set drama, the in-game drama, all of the drama. So much drama. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's not that crazy. I'm making it sound very TMZ, but it's mostly just like, and then this publisher dropped out or whatever. But we are the other castle. Like we mentioned, we are in the middle of season six. If you haven't caught up with our last few episodes, they are some of our better work, I will admit. I am pretty proud of what we're doing, and some of our biggest games are to come, so thank you for joining us this week, and hopefully in the future. Yes, most definitely. Thank you so much for listening in so far. Thank you for joining us. All of you that we met at Level Up Expo, like, this is the first episode that we're actually recording after Level Up Expo. Yeah. And I'll tell you what, like, one, we were supposed to record this, like, a week ago, this episode, but... After that expo, we got the con flu. Ugh, it's, it wasn't COVID. No. I tested twice and I made you test because I was like, there's no way in hell. Right. I have not gotten COVID to this day and neither of you. We've gotten our boosties. We've washed our hands. I use hand sanitizer multiple times a day now, like just in life. That's just a part of who I am now. And we still got goddamn sick. True. <sighs> the weather didn't help either. We had 70 mile an hour winds that was just kicking up fucking dust and shit and everything. So And it snowed in Las Vegas. Like all that footage of snow on the palm trees is so apocalyptic and great. I know. I love it. It's, it's so pretty cool. good. I mean, we left Denver to get away from the snow and now we're here in Las Vegas where we thought there will never be snow in the desert. And fuck you. Because <laughs> I haven't. Anyway, I apologize if we are a little nasally. We are on the very tail end of a cold and we are we've been working on this episode for a long time i have at least and i've just been telling tom i need to push another day push another day i can't breathe i don't have the energy i cannot physically speak for more than 10 minutes so thank you tom i know i already have a pothead laugh so bad but now with like this little <laughs> bit of a chest cold going with it it's my laugh's gonna sound way off tonight i'm so sorry about it you know how some people sound sexy when they're sick that's clearly not the case not here. for us no. i sound terrible <laughs> but I promise I have more energy and I sound a lot better in our other episodes. Ah. <laughs> ah, I'm exhausted now. Anyway, this week we are covering Life is Strange. Oh, we have talked about this game so many times on the show. I've also talked about how I will never do a branching narrative game and I've done, what, two or three? Yeah, this we're might gonna be four. just keep doing them. Just, just, just lean into it at this point. I think the first one we did was Heavy Rain, right? Yeah, Heavy Rain was our first big branching narrative one. Yeah, and if your name is Dell and you met us at Level Expo, hi, we talked about Heavy Rain. And you are awesome, by the way, and Heavy Rain was really great. And as a reminder, Tom over here managed to kill one of the main characters the moment he physically could during his run. You know, it wasn't on purpose. I know, but it's still I'm very just, funny to me. I'm just bad at the game. <laughs> anyway, we've done that. We've done The Wolf Among Us. We've done Until Dawn. Well, I've done those. Yeah, I leave those all for you. Yeah, I didn't want to do <laughs> branching narrative games. It's like, that doesn't make sense for a video game podcast where we talk about the linear plots of games. And 
here we are. Was this my third one? Fourth one? Whatever. Fuck me. Detroit Become Human coming up next. I will never do that. <laughs> David Cage doesn't know how many endings there are for that game. Why would I? Quite true. I think it, the last count was like 90 some endings for that game. That's terrible. I'm not doing it. <laughs> I refuse to do that game. I like the part where there's a bear. Leave me alone. Sure. Yeah, but Life is Strange, one of the more iconic branching narratives that really started a big kind of indie wave of doing these episodic moments. It does follow in some of the steps of Uncle Telltale, but it's a little funky. Okay, that's kind of fun. So it is in that kind of like genre of choose your own adventure. Absolutely. It is a branching narrative, but to your point, Matt Pat, Matthew Patrick of Game Theory, called it a choose-your-own-adventure game with an emo haircut. Oh, okay, nice. Now, <laughs> you say a branching narrative. How many endings are there to this? Two. Two. <laughs> but so we're not asking the world of you here. No! <laughs> are you trying to downplay this? Fuck you. No, not at all. <laughs> well, there are branches in the middle. In the same way that with a telltale, you kind of end in the same place, there are things in the middle that can change how you get information from characters, what kind of dialogue is able to unlock to give you more backstory. There's there's bits in the middle that can change. and It ebbs in the big chunk of the middle, but the ending, there are two endings. I'll give you that one. So like in Wolf Among Us, for example, you can kill one of the Tweedles. Yes, exactly. And then they can show up together or it's just one being really angry. You killed his brother, shit like that. Okay, so that's where it branches. Yeah. All right, I get you. Exactly. And in this one, you can definitely kill people. And yeah, this episode being so incredibly heavy, uh, this one, it does need some trigger warnings. Yes. As a formal trigger warning for Life is Strange, uh, I apologize if this spoils or rubs anyone the wrong way. But just to make sure everyone is listening to this in a safe environment, this episode does contain content related to self-harm, sexual assault and sexual deviancy, as well as guns in school. Yeah, uh, this is does end up being one of our darkest games that we've done. I mean, even, I wouldn't say more so than Disco Elysium, but this one gets really close to it. This is a dark game. If this content is not for you, totally understand, totally respect it. We have a lot of other episodes in the catalog that do not handle matter this dark. So please do whatever you're comfortable with. No one will be offended. We promise. Totally understand that. Yeah, this is a, you know, we like you said, it's the emo episode, um, more so than I think emo game even. Oh my God. Emo game was just for my ego entirely. Emo game was for me and one other person who I have not heard from because <laughs> no one has said anything except why did you do that? Or what is this? Or was that a real game? So sorry. I just wanted to talk about something from my childhood. I am an elder emo. It is what it is. You know, we roll with it. Totally understandable. Is it? It's going to have to be. It's going to have to be. I have nothing else for you there, but we did it. Anyway, Life is Strange was released in five episodes across all of 2015 for the Xbox One, PlayStation 4, Xbox 360, PlayStation 3, and Microsoft Windows. It eventually got more ports with iOS, Android, Linux, you know, all the good stuff. It's on Switch and shit now. You can get it wherever. So the episodes came out with episode one coming out in January of 2015, all the way through episode five coming out in October of 2015. So a couple months in between, which also does very much follow that telltale pacing of rolling out a narrative. It's interesting, too, that we also see things like Bendy that comes out with five episodes. Like that seems to be the real sweet spot for these kind of 
indie darlings and pieces like that. Yeah, the five episodes seems to really be the standard. I'd say the only one that really deviated from that was Five Nights at Freddy's, and they did four. Oh. But other than that, all the other ones really do just do like this five episode arc. I heard that the third in the Life is Strange series just went with a single game, though. Yes, because that was a whole it's a there is a lot of behind the scenes drama, which we will not get into. I haven't played that one, Uh, (laughs) so I can't speak to it, but I've only heard peripherally. Is the Five Nights at Freddy's situation technically four episodes, though? That's the thing. It's not. Oh, you know, so you just is, brought that shit up. No, 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 no. It is Five Nights at Freddy's one, two, three, and four. However, they came out in the same kind of schedule that these kinds of games come out in. Oh, you're right. Scott Coffin just jammed that shit out, even though they are technically standalones with different mechanics and structures for each entry. Right, but it's still part of the same story and the same narrative that it was telling. Got it. Okay, so you're saying this loosely. It's loosely lumped in. I didn't say like it's exactly. It's That's why it also was able to deviate from the format and only do four, because it was initially only going to do three anyway. Totally get you. Well, this this still kind of fits in that place, and it's interesting that this is how we can digest games now, specifically. Like, to your point, there's horror games that do these. There's kind of these long narrative pieces that do these. All the Telltale games do these. It's just... It's such an interesting break from the, you know, 60 hour open world campaigns of a Grand Theft Auto game or, you know, other like 20 hour uncharted games, things like that. So it's fascinating. Well, what I think is even more interesting is the studio this came from, at least it's distributor studio. Oh, Square Enix? Square Enix. This is not a Square Enix game as far as I've ever seen in my life. (laughs) Tell me what you feel a Square Enix game is in contrast to Life is Strange. I mean, it's Final Fantasy, it's Nier Automata, it's all those kinds of games where you're in a bunch of leather with big swords and it's (laughs) fantastical and magical. There's some magic in Life is Strange. Yeah. But it's not in the same genre. Like, it takes place today. It's as if it was a modern story. It's less leather daddy. (laughs) So much less leather daddy. More daddy daddy issues. Yeah, even Kingdom Hearts, you look at that, you know, I mean, yeah, that's the Disney, but all of the organization members, all the people have, like, just leather. It's all fucking leather and gray hair. (laughs) So just aesthetically, you're like, this is not the vibe. (laughs) No, and they're also RPGs or Mm -hmm. action RPGs. They're not these slow-paced stories. Yeah, this is the only one that, you know, there's no fight mechanic at all because there's no fighting. Right. It's just emotions. <laughs> but it's, would you put it on the genre of walking simulator? No, absolutely not. Okay. Because when you say walking simulator, I think Firewatch and Edith Finch, where it's just walk around and explore. You feel more engaged with this because of the verbal quick time events, I'll say, in terms of how you drive the narrative and what your interactions mean. I do want to say, though, with Firewatch and Edith Finch, those are pieces that are very isolating. You're only playing as one single character and you're rarely interacting with other characters in both of those games. True. So perhaps my vision of a walking sim is a little skewed because of that. But there's also things like Gone Home, which I haven't played, but you know, I'm aware it's the same thing that perhaps it's not, you know. I'm going to do more research on that, actually. <laughs> I've been meaning to play Gone Home. This is just sparking me wanting to play Gone Home more than anything. And the Minerva's Den creator from Bioshock 2, he made Gone Home. Good tie-in. We just covered Minerva's Den on our Patreon, everyone. If you want to hear us break down the plot lore and more of Minerva's Den, go check that out and support the show. Also, real quick, just want to say hi to one of our newest members over on the Patreon, Ellen. So, hello, oh, Ellen. What's up, Ellen? Hi, thanks for joining us. Thank you for the support. We appreciate that. 
I hope you like the Minerva's Den episode. And if you want to join our Patreon, you can help support the show by going to theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. Anyway, Life is Strange was developed by Don't Nod, a French developer that was founded in 2008 in Paris. Another of these European studios bringing out bangers. Bangers. Did you think that this was an American studio? I kind of assumed. I mean, it takes place in what? The Pacific Northwest, right? Exactly. So you would assume. But I mean, I guess so did Heavy Rain. That was also made by a French studio, also wasn't it? Also French, yeah. entirely, yeah. <laughs> they there, love the Pacific Northwest for some reason. There's some arguments that that might be a heavy rain Canada thing. They're like, maybe it's up in Vancouver-ish, but that's kind of hearsay. They don't really narrow it down. Yeah, it's very, very vague in heavy rain especially. Anyway, Don't Nod was founded by former Ubisoft and EA talent, so, you know, seasoned vets. Their first game was developed as an action-adventure game called Remember Me, and it was published by Capcom in 2013. That is a memory hunter looking for memories game <laughs> in the year 2084. So it's futuristic. We're piecing shit together. And it has these time rewind features that obviously eventually, as you'll find out, laid the groundwork for Life is Strange. And irony being, nobody remembers this game. Oh my God, it's so sad. (laughs) (laughs) Remember Me got overall okay reviews and like it did fine. A year after it came out, it was certified platinum with 1 million copies sold and a sequel was talked about but completely fell apart. Okay, well. They moved on to bigger, better things. They forgot about it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't Nod CEO Oscar Gilbel admitted that while Remember Me did okay, the wild success of Life is Strange actually saved the company entirely from what he called a very difficult financial situation. Okay, that's amazing considering they teamed up with Square Enix. <laughs> Why is that amazing? Because of Square Enix. Okay, so back in the day when Square Enix was just Squaresoft, they developed a video game on the regular Nintendo system, and they were like, this is our last hurrah. We are done after this. We have not made a single fucking hit in our entire existence. Oh my god. And so because it was their last game, they named it Final Fantasy. (gasps) Oh. And that game saved their entire company. Yeah, I've heard of Final Fantasy. Yeah. I think the 16th one is about to come out. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. We're up in the near double X's up there. That's fascinating. So Square Enix is fucking cat and save a hoe with this shit. Seriously. That's amazing. I I love that mirror image of the whole situation. Yeah. The lineage of Square just finding the last glimmering hope to save a studio. I love that. Yeah. That's good. So after the underwhelming launch of Remember Me, Don't Nod decided to go a little bit leaner with their team and start development on Life is Strange with about 15 people. That's a small fucking group. Like, I love these little independent studios that have like these little tiny teams. Oh, totally. So, And, you know, we just talked about Five Nights at Freddy's. Scott Coffin is one person that jams right. shit out every eight days. <laughs> eight business days, but eight days. He, <laughs> that man pumps, pumps out a new game, new piece of lore, whatever. FNAF is hard to keep up with than the never-ending story was when we were kids. It's insane how much he puts out. But yeah, he's one person. I think he's got like one or two more people now. When we think about Toby Fox and Undertale, it's him and a handful of artists. But for a larger quote-unquote studio, more of a corporate setting, 15 people is nothing to put a game together. Absolutely nothing. I think it was Stray that ha- with B12 Studios had what, like 40 people and two cats or something? Like it's a, it's 15 people is nothing to put a game together. Entirely. 
The squad originally thought of Life is Strange as one full-length game, but their partners at Square Enix came in. Not only did Square Enix add to the small team in terms of support, so when Square came in, they're like, you can have some headcount, holy shit. (laughs) They also redirected the release to be episodic, which is, you know, for the time, a little experimental. This did come out after, you know, some telltale titles like Wolf Among Us had already been out, but they wanted to keep the team focused on doing sprints rather than looking at this larger and holistically. So by doing a sprint and kind of keeping it quick in terms of project management, they figured episodic would make more sense to accommodate the workflow and workload. So basically get this section done, we'll throw it out, and then we'll work on the next section, put it out, that kind of thing. Yeah, this is not Red Dead where they had one person who specialized in botany and only did the flowers through the entire map. Now, how do you think this was for, you know, the horrible word of crunch culture? (sighs) Well, you know, the reports from this team say that everyone was stoked on this. Okay, good. Because they could, they felt like instead of looking down the barrel of a full 20 hour game all at once, they could say, I just have to get this next hour done. And that's two weeks and then I'm fine. So breaking it into smaller chunks really worked for morale and they felt like they could focus on telling the story and not forcing a fast narrative for the sake of pacing and they could take their time in terms of building this world thoughtfully rather than having to rush through a whole ass thing. So, I mean, from the reporting of the team, they seem to like it. I can't speak to everyone's experience, but overall, the sentiment was good. Okay, good. I mean, we don't like really boosting games that have horrible crunch culture histories, but also it's so hard to find a game that doesn't. Yeah, and it's going to come up. Like, it, unfortunately, it's it's systematic to gaming, at you know? At this point, I feel like we should just acknowledge it at the very least if they actually had to suffer through yeah. it. So, you know. <laughs> just go, our bad. But, you know, frankly, Square's direction in terms of being episodic, they gave them headcount, like I mentioned, that seemed to work really well and give them balance. And frankly, also just where Americans, Europeans have a very different sense of work and work culture and work-life balance. True. I mean, that's, and again, that is a high level, very (laughs) grossly overarching sentiment, but Americans are bad at work culture. (laughs) And, (laughs) you know, Europeans do have a better sense of like, hey, Why don't you see your family? Why don't you enjoy a hobby? Why don't you get a full night's sleep? And good for them. Very jealous. Right. I have so many jobs. I mean, granted, our episode about cyberpunk completely negates that fact. Right. (laughs) Well, for every point, there's a counterpoint. So fuck me. (laughs) Square Enix did come in kind of early as the publisher and partner. And Don't Nod actually picked them for a very specific reason. And it's not just because of your reason of them being Captain Savaho. Okay. Which I promise to stop using after this. I hear myself saying it. I apologize. As this project was shopped around to different publishers, Square Enix was the only publishing partner that did not request the protagonist be changed from female to male. Really? Yeah, bitch. Oh my God. So 100% of the time they said they wanted the main character to be a male? Until they met with Square. Holy shit. Well, that's the thing is that there have been plenty of Final Fantasy games where a female protagonist is the lead. Isn't that wild, though? I mean, bravo to Square Enix. And I can't imagine this life is strange with a male Max. No, God, no. Like, that wouldn't work for me, frankly. I don't think it would work at all. No, I don't see. I mean, we know the characters, Chloe and Max, you and I do so far. We haven't talked about like both of them yet. But like, I don't see Chloe being friends with a guy. No. (laughs) Plain and simple. (laughs) 
she is very hostile to every male that she encounters in this game now that I'm thinking about it. And I would like you to keep that in mind because I'm pretty sure if you try to fact check me, she is not kind to a single dude in this entire game. Oh, except for her dad. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. And, and I would argue that in the prequel DLC that came out, like she's maybe friends with two guys. Maybe. So Don't Nod co-founder Jean-Maxi Morris said that Square was basically the only publisher that didn't want us to change a single thing about the game. So not only don't change the protagonist, they were like, honestly, this is a dope story. Go for it. He goes on to say, we had other publishers telling us, make it a male lead character. And Square didn't even question that. So like, hell yeah, go off. That's great. I just, I love that. And this is the kind of drama I love in the show that we get to talk about. <laughs> when I say behind the scenes drama, this is the kind of shit I want to see y'all. Oh, I love this shit. I mean, again, based on that Kingdom Hearts episode that we did, we see that Square Enix works really well with other people. They do. They play so well with others. They are a really great collaborator. Yeah. So when you see that title screen of Square, you're like, okay, they let a creative go off. We should be in safe hands here. Yeah, allegedly. Square Enix announced Life is Strange at the 2014 Gamescom, the same show that brought the announcements of Assassin's Creed Rogue, Metal Gear Solid 5, Bloodborne, and The Witcher 3. Pretty big games. And just to talk shit for a second, at Xbox's showcase at 2014 Gamescom, the game footage and renderings were from PC hardware and not from Xbox Ones. Like, can you not? Oh my god, really? That's so... Goddamn embarrassing. Didn't what, that just happen too, though? Yeah, at the PlayStation State of Play, there was a game that showcased PC footage. And they legally have to show a disclaimer if they're showing something that is meant for a specific hardware, but they are not showing you footage from that hardware. Like, if you see a movie trailer, they have to be like, this isn't in the movie, unless it's a Mar Marvel movie. Right. That's, so that's not a great example. But... <laughs> <laughs> People do it all the time, but we're not stupid. Right. We can read the line. It's you printed it in the fucking ad. <laughs> I can see you. But it's it's so embarrassing when people do that. Because you're like, yeah, PlayStation 5, state of play. Footage from PC. You're like, well, then what the fuck is it supposed to look like on my PlayStation 5? So they did the same thing to Xbox. Yeah. Beautiful. <laughs> it's just embarrassing. Actually, you know what? It's more embarrassing than that. It goes further. Instead of claiming that what attendees were playing was the PC version, Microsoft went one step further and included Xbox One units in order to misguide everyone. Okay, so hold up. So these controllers were connected to the PC. Yeah, and not the Xbox One. And the Xbox Ones were there as like a display model to make it look like it was coming off of them? In fucking entirely. So they had the Xbox One console sitting there. You're holding the controller, but it's wired into a PC that's hidden in the fucking showcase box. And playing this game being like, wow, this is sick. It's moving smooth. It's beautiful. It's not running through the hardware you think it's running through, though. That's some bullshit like that's worse than i think cd project red putting out a fake trailer <laughs> fake trailers happen like south park did it and you know marvel does it fucking we roll with that to the point of me bringing that up earlier but anyway back to the game we're talking about that actually does run on all these platforms i mentioned earlier for the setting of the game the team really wanted an indie nostalgic feel something that felt really autumnal so they went with the Pacific Northwest and settled on Oregon. I mean, Oregon's a pretty place. I've never been there. <laughs> Seems like a lot of trees. There is a lot of trees. Good for them. Anyway, the team went out to Oregon on a scouting mission for photos and vibes to make sure they really captured that Oregon energy. Whatever that means. 
I don't know, some Portlandia shit. I was going to say, did they watch Portlandia? That could have just done it for him. Yeah, put a bird on it. It's fine. As they built the story itself, the script was written in French by the team at Don't Nod and then was translated to English later by other team members. So if you hear some funky dialogue, it's because it was originally written in French and then changed into English. So, and you know, ah, I'm making faces. There are a lot of slang pieces that feel a little forced or awkward, and I fully accredit that to this weird kind of script translation issue. It's I mean, rough. it's also when adults write teenagers. They never know what's yeah. cool anymore. Yeah, and when you're trying to do it as an American teen from the perspective of, like, an adult French person, it's gonna not land. Yeah, it Just won't translate up. well at all. <laughs> yeah, it's not good. The production team really wanted the writing and the voice acting to be the biggest strengths of the game, ironic to our point just now. (laughs) So the script did take a lot of time and hands to make it tight and meaningful. To make room in the budget for writers and actors, they saved some money on the art, but still wanted to make the art impactful. So like, obviously not rendering this to death, but all of the textures developed in the game are actually hand-painted and then rendered to be animated, which created that like dreamy light atmosphere that you actually get in the final product i'm really not trying to constantly bring up old episodes but that's almost exactly what they did in uh disco elysium the other european splash game that we saw yeah it's so cool to see so many similarities across all these different games and like starting to connect all these dots it's interesting to see the through lines through different games for sure i believe there was a lot more detail and painstakingness in terms of the process of doing Disco Elysium's art versus this, though. Oh, absolutely. That was like all one person doing it. Oh my god, that's right. That was just one sweet angel artist who created this beautiful piece of a game. This was a team uh, subsidized by Square Enix. They have Final Fantasy money, honey. (laughs) For those aforementioned voice actors, two LA-based actresses scored the roles of the two main characters, Max and Chloe. There were onset mocap performers, but they were not the voice actors. They had mocap performers that really fit kind of the aesthetic of the actual performers in terms of height, weight, you know, lankiness as it comes to it. Chloe's so lanky. Yeah, that's true. And the voice actors would lip sync their VO from booths for their performances. And these performances are great, to be fair. Like, the only knock they really got was for lip sync not always lining up, which sometimes feels awkward. And... Again, some outdated, forced, like, hello, fellow youth-ass sounding shit, but (laughs) it's not to knock Max or Chloe's performances at all. It's just, it's a thing that happens. The writing. Max is voiced by Hannah Tell, who's had a few projects here and there, but Max is highest on her IMDb. It's the role she's known for. Max is her bread and butter. Good for her. The other performer, I hope you all are aware of. I don't know if she's come up on this show as a performer. We've definitely name dropped her just because I she's a hoppa and I love her. Is Ashley Birch. Oh, uh, we love Ash. Now, Ash actually auditioned for both Max and Chloe, but ultimately landed Chloe and is incomparable. She is wonderful. She is a great presence in gaming. She was the star of a web series called Whatcha Playin' Ash that she did with her brother. She's on Mythic Quest, which I love and is a great show about video games on Apple TV. And, you know, she's done Horizon Zero Dawn. She's Tiny Tina in Tiny Tina's Wonderlands. She's that pregnant bitch Mel from The Last of Us 2. <laughs> <laughs> so she has been on this show before. You hate Mel from The Last of Us 2. Everybody hates Mel from The Last of Us 2. She sucks. <laughs> she's doing the best she can. And she's bitching about it the entire time. She's pregnant. 
pregnant. She's so pregnant. <laughs> She's way too pregnant to be in a zombie apocalypse. Yeah, poor babe. Anyway, she's wonderful and she is so iconic for this. The casting is truly like so great for this and Ashley Birch is such a powerhouse that she was nominated for a game award, a BAFTA, all this crazy shit for Chloe. She actually won a golden joystick award. Like she she took home some gold for it. Yeah, her work as Chloe is just absolutely phenomenal. On the other hand, Hannah Tell was fucking robbed and got no nominations for her performance as Max, but there was a Dice Award nomination for Outstanding Achievement in Character for Max Caulfield, so she contributed to that, but she would have to share that with a writer, you know, but she did fucking great. Well, I'm sorry that she got robbed, but, you know, the game did get some of the recognition that it deserved. Absolutely. Speaking of awards, the game was nominated and even won a handful of awards, like taking home the BAFTA for Story, a Peabody Award for Excellence and Innovation in Digital Storytelling, and Apple's Game of the Year. So, not too shabby. A Peabody Award. A Peabody. I don't think we've covered a Peabody winner yet. I think a few people have gotten them. It's just so weird to hear. Like, when I hear the Peabody, I think of, like, Hamilton got the Peabody. Yeah. (laughs) You really don't see it getting handed out for video games. No, that's amazing. So, you know, while their name isn't directly on it, Hannah Tell did help win some really cool shit. Yeah. Life is Strange reached 1 million sales in July of 2015 and was one of the top 100 best-selling games on Steam in 2016. By May 2017, it was confirmed to have moved 3 million copies. So remember me who, bitch. This shit killed it for Don't Nod. You know, it's funny. When we cover an independent title and we're like, it sold 3 million copies. That's amazing. And then we cover a AAA title and we're like, and it only sold 3 million copies. (laughs) Perspective is everything, bitch. (laughs) Not everything's going to be a Marvel movie. Yeah. Some of them are going to be an Eternals Marvel movie. Yeah, it happens. Anyway, this did so well, to your point, like I think you alluded to, it garnered a prequel, a sequel featuring two brothers on a road trip, and then another sequel featuring another female with strange powers in Colorado. There's a couple of DLC pieces, all sorts of things in the Life of Strangerverse. We have some of the comics, you know, there's there's a lot going on. That's right. They do like a post-game comic series. Yes, and there's spoilers, so I will not talk about anything that happens in them. Okay. There's also been rumors of an adaptation, so I bet now that we have some success with Last of Us, we're gonna we're gonna see some more of those rumors cropping back up. Oh, really? So we are gonna see like a TV series version of this? We might. We've said that about a lot of games on this show, though. You know, Little Nightmares had a pilot that was in development. Fucking, there were a bunch of them that did. That never materialized. Currently, Hulu has the rights to the license for Life is Strange, and there have been a few comics to come out, which could potentially draw some of the plot. But again, I can't speak to them because there's some time hopping and shit. But anyway, there's no word on a Hulu series. But while we wait for this material to come to fruition, we can talk about what does exist. The game. (laughs) Okay. This is Life is Strange. Episode one. Chrysalis. Tom, what's a chrysalis? Isn't that when a caterpillar turns into a butterfly? It's the pupa stage. It's the pupa stage. The game opens during a storm. A white girl with short brown hair wakes up outside wondering, what's going on? How did I get here? Where am I? 
She figures if she can make it to the lighthouse, she can get safe. As long as she can make it there. She's against the waterline with a huge storm raging around her. A tornado and a tsunami are coming together, looming over her, approaching the seaside town. A whole boat is picked up by the storm and is flung into the lighthouse. She wakes up in a classroom and surmises that, oh, I'm in class. Everything's okay. That was a horrible dream. This douchey white male professor with terrible facial hair is droning on about the history of photography. This class is small, maybe like a dozen people. A mean girl whose entire character is being mean with long (laughs) blonde hair throws a paper ball at a sad looking girl in a cardigan. The teacher asks for examples of photographers. This teacher is Mr. Jefferson, who's basically like the cool, sexy dude teacher. Right. He has cuffed jeans and sleek glasses and would reasonably be conventionally attractive, but he's no 27-year-old Dr. Gordon Freeman. No. I mean, he is like, what, cusp Gen X millennial? Yeah, but like douchey about being Gen X. Right. The girl we met earlier in the storm is Max Caulfield. She sits at her desk with her camera, photos, and just general school shit laid out. Her inner dialogue is strong in this game, and she wonders, wait, I wasn't asleep. How did I get here? She's a senior at Blackwell Academy, which is a senior high school with a focus on science and arts in Arcadia Bay, Oregon. Ooh, anytime Academy is attached to your school, that is fancy pants fucking school. That is an expensive fucking check, bitch. I went to all public schools my entire life. I mean, I went to a pretty private school, Catholic school, and that didn't have the word Academy in it. I can tell you that. Was there an academy like in your neighborhood that like really rich people went to? Oh, there absolutely was. Really? Because you had rich people that went to your high school, right? Oh, entirely. We had a mix, though. You know, we had people of all economic backgrounds at my high school, despite being like a paid for school. We did have people there that were on scholarships and stuff as well. So, you know, we did have like all the economic uh, different backgrounds. However, there was the really fancy school in my town as well. And that was the... Very, very wealthy. That's where, like, all the kids whose dads owned the car dealerships and shit went to. Jesus Christ, it sounds horrible. <laughs> I went to so many public schools, and I got my bachelor's degree in three years because I'm smart as shit. Yeah, that kid's dad owned Harrison Ford. Not the actor, the, the car man? dealership. The man? Oh. <laughs> it's like Spielberg owns Harrison Ford. What the fuck are you talking about? There is no other reason he's doing a fifth goddamn Indiana Jones. He wants to stay at home and sleep. Fuck you. <laughs> anyway... Blackwell Academy is a very fancy private school that has dorms on campus, but students are able to leave during the day. They're all kind of senior, 18, some are 19. Like, it's kind of funky, but we can go with it. Zoning in and out of the lecture, Max hears Mr. Jefferson say, Seriously, though, I could capture any one of you in a dark corner and get you in a moment of desperation. Any one of you could do that for me. Max picks up her off-brand Polaroid, for legal reasons, and takes a picture of herself. Mr. Jefferson says, ah, Max has taken a selfie, which he calls a dumb word, and says that Max has a gift. He talks about how the millennials did not invent the selfies as a weird Gen X dig at millennials. We never claimed to, you lunatic. Right. Mr. Jefferson is annoyed that Max seemed to zone out and started taking selfies during class. And he asks her who invented the art of the first photographic self-portrait. He's annoyed when Max doesn't have an answer, and a mean pixie-haired girl named Victoria says, it's a daguerreotype, and then looks at Max and says, sad face. 
She looks at another human and says the words sad face. Yeah, when you said that there were some moments that are like written by adults for kids. This is one of those. Entirely. Again, this game is not known for good use of teen slang. <laughs> As the class bell rings, Mr. Jefferson reminds the class of a photography contest called Everyday Heroes that they can enter, and someone will be selected to fly to San Francisco to show their work off in a gallery with Mr. Jefferson. And like, I feel like I remember in this scene, they really highlight on the fact that that is kind of Max's only style of photography. Yes, she is a selfie queen. And I've got to say, you know, we live in the age of Instagram, all that shit. I've seen millions of selfies at this point in my life. Who hasn't? Nothing Max is doing is, is special. No. <laughs> They're very mid selfies, if you ask me. Max is mid! <laughs> oh, no. But she's taking a photography class, and because of that, it makes it better. Yes. It's a critique that isn't important. It's just, it seemed very strange to me that they were like, all right, so she's an amazing selfie artist. Amazing selfie artist? I don't know what the fuck that is, but okay. And she only uses Polaroids. She's not right. a digital selfie artist. She's an old school selfie artist. And you know what? That might be why he considers her better. Because he's such like an old school douche about it. Because he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. Anyway, Max gets up, she's leaving class, and she's clearly just this sweet, awkward girl. She's not cool, she's not popular, she's just shy, you know? She's, she has the whole vibes of a horse girl that is over horses and doesn't know what to do with her life. In her friend group, she's not even the funny one. And she doesn't have friends. Oh. <laughs> Mr. Jefferson sees Victoria... And she is this, again, the pixie bitch. She's kissing ass with Mr. Jefferson as she leaves. She's talking about the contest, all this shit. Max goes up to Mr. Jefferson while they're talking. And she tells Mr. Jefferson she doesn't have her submission for the contest yet. And he pushes her to get her submission in because she has a gift, damn it. And she needs to get the courage to share her gift with others. That selfie gift. That selfie gift. Victoria's just really annoyed by this because she's like, I am talking to Mr. Jefferson. Fuck you. Right. I love doing that, though. Like when somebody is trying to hold somebody's attention that clearly doesn't want them holding their attention <laughs> and they get mad at you because that person wants to talk to you instead. Yeah. How dare you be more interesting than me is the energy. And it's very funny every time. I mean, when you go to a school with the word academy in it, you're going to run into these bitches. There's going to be a lot of ego, bitch. Yeah. Max leaves the classroom and enters this busy hall of lockers and students. You know, that mid-class rush. She is immediately just anxious as fuck. And she's like, I'm going to go to the bathroom, splash some water on my face, and reset. She plugs in her earbuds and listens to this Juno-ass indie music as the title card appears. And she makes her way to the bathroom. And this is where we get a lot of the flavor text of her meeting students and kind of doing some light eavesdropping, some actual conversations, but it's just to give you a sense of everyone's priorities. They are horny high schoolers just looking for drama. Everyone knows what the deal is. You know, it's it's high school shit. It reminded me of like Into the Spider-Verse when Miles Morales is going between his old school to his new school and you see like all the different people interact with him and how he interacts with them. And that's kind of the way Max is going through her own place. Yeah, totally. 
In the bathroom, she is so happy to see that the entire bathroom is alone because she thinks, no one can see my meltdown. (laughs) You don't want other people there when you're melting down. No, and she's not really having a meltdown. She's just like, I'm having an anxiety attack and I need to calm down. Right. She splashes some water on her face and takes a step back to think about what Mr. Jefferson said. She pulls out a selfie she took of herself looking at her other photos in a wall and she rips it in half in anger. I'm sorry, she ripped a Polaroid in half? Yeah. That's just impressive. Honestly, like, it's a plastic thing. Like, (laughs) they are hard to rip in half. Yeah. She's like, fuck this photo. She looks up and she sees a blue butterfly in the bathroom. Bugs in a bathroom are typically disgusting, but this is charming, so she follows it. She needs to get that submission, and a selfie's not going to cut it. Apparently, but she has a gift. (laughs) A selfie gift. She follows this butterfly to the back of the very last stall in the bathroom, and she sees this butterfly as a serious photo opportunity. She takes out her Polaroid, and as the butterfly starts to kind of flutter away, a boy runs into the bathroom. This Boys is- aren't allowed to be in there. Yeah, I was going to say, this is a girl's bathroom. What are we doing? Max is hiding, like, behind the stall, so he can't see her, and Max just kind of quietly peeks around the corner and sees this preppy white boy talking to himself, saying, I'm the boss. I could blow up the school if I wanted to. Which, oh no. Oh no. Correct me if I'm wrong. He's like a Draco Malfoy looking motherfucker, right? He's all white. He's blonde. He just looks privileged. He's in like a cardigan. Yep. Draco Malfoy. Yeah. A second after he starts talking to himself, this cool punk rock girl with blue hair busts into the bathroom. She does a quick perimeter check to see if anyone else is in there with them. Neither the boy or the girl notice Max. Now, quick question. Yeah. Is everybody wearing uniforms in this school? No, no one's in uniform. This is a, what is it, open dress code policy. But everybody's wearing kind of preppy clothes still. Yeah, there's like the social, (laughs) there's the societal uh, dress code of like, don't dress like an asshole. So punk rock girl coming in doesn't look like she belongs here? Totally not. No, no one has blue hair. No one's alternative at this school. Got it. It's autumnal. (laughs) It's all preppy sweaters and shit. She looks like she's crazy. Anyway, the punk rock girl says she wants to talk bidness. And she says bidness. Bidness? B-I-D-ness? Yeah, I hate it. Ugh. And she says that the boys got hella cash. As an East Bay bitch, (laughs) (laughs) the appropriation of the word hella makes my skin crawl. Especially when it's awkward. Anyway, this happens a lot. That is the only time I will talk about it unless I talk about it again, in which case, oh, well. Yeah, and anybody from outside the East Bay hates the word hella, so. Do they? Yeah, it's dumb. Eat shit. (laughs) Fuck you. Anyway, she's telling this boy who comes out as Nathan Prescott, she could fuck around with him. And then he pulls out a gun. A gun. Points it at her. And pushes her into a wall. She tells him to get the gun away from her. And as she pushes him back, he pulls the trigger. And the blue-haired girl is shot. Holy shit. Max jumps out from the stalls and screams no. And then she starts getting dizzy. Max wakes up in class. She's back in the moment hearing Mr. Jefferson talk about photography. And she is confused. Did she just final destination this shit? <laughs> that is what it kind of feels like. <laughs> right. She sees the mean girl throw a ball of paper at the sad cardigan girl. She fully jumps to, 
hold up, can I travel through time? <laughs> there is zero to 60 in her assumption of time travel. And she starts testing it quickly. It works, and she just coaches herself to keep it together. When you say it works, what happens? She tests her theory by taking a selfie again to get Mr. Jefferson's attention. Once again, Mr. Jefferson says she has a gift. She wonders, if that girl isn't dead yet, can I save her? Like, she's going to die in a couple minutes. Right. I can, I can fix this. Mr. Jefferson interrupts her tiny mental breakdown and asks her about the first self-portraits again. And she's like, I have to use the bathroom. She could have answered it correctly this time and, like, shown off. She could have, but she doesn't. Oh. He says no and to see him after class. But she can't if she wants to save that girl. So she's like, God damn it. She rewinds time again. And when he asks her about the first self-portraits, she's able to answer about the Daguerrean process, which actually pleases Mr. Jefferson. There it is. He's able to continue on with his lecture, saying Max is so far ahead of everyone. <laughs> he fucking loves her. So now she is the A pupil student and Pixie Bitch is going to hate you even more. Entirely. This does not go well for anyone. Max is like, get your shit together. She tells herself it's time to be an everyday hero. <laughs> Shut up, Max. <laughs> After class, she runs like beelines to the bathroom. She coaches herself that she can't tell anyone or they'll think she's crazy. Which, yeah. Max. Obviously, yeah. No, I would absolutely think you're crazy if you told me you could travel through time. She goes into the bathroom to retrace her steps. She stands behind the stall and hears a blue-haired girl and Nathan Prescott arguing again as it leads to the shooting. And in the stall, she sees a fire alarm. She smashes the fire alarm to stop the issue, and the blue-haired girl kicks Nathan off of her and is able to run away. When in your life have you seen a fire alarm in a toilet? France? I, that is new to me, <laughs> I gotta an, say. It might be an academy thing. Oh, right. In academies, they have those. They're okay. so rich, they can call for fire departments in the bathroom. <laughs> I don't know. I don't think our fire alarms worked in the school I went to. <laughs> so, whatever. Nathan just says to himself, another shitty day. <laughs> Grabs his gun and runs off. But hey, saved the girl. Max is alone. She goes, I just saw a girl get shot and I saved her. What the fuck is going on? I don't think that's an everyday hero. That's a superhero. If you rewound time to save somebody's life, that's a superhero. That's at least a special day hero. Right. It's a holiday hero. <laughs> Max leaves the bathroom and this shitty security guard named Mr. David Madsen starts yelling at Max to go outside because of the fire. He gets stopped by Principal Wexler, who tells Mr. Madsen to turn off the alarm because that's his goddamn job. Max tells the principal she's worried about her future because she's just like, uh, things are weird right now. Here, Max can decide to turn in Nathan Prescott as waving around a gun or not. If you snitch on Nathan, he says he'll look into it. Either way, Max leaves and goes outside to join everyone else in the fastest fuck evacuation of the school. Because, <laughs> like, truly, you pull the alarm, you walk out, the entire school is empty. And you're like, oh. I mean, they must do lots of fire drills. Yeah, they're really good at it. Really <laughs> they've been efficient. They've been practicing for this moment. Outside, it is a gorgeous autumnal day, and Max looks over the campus and the coins and the fountain and the hills and... Just the beautiful sun. 
a boy texts her that he will see her soon to pick up his flash drive. And she's like, ah, I got to go get that flash drive. Mm. She walks over the girl's door, which is blocked by the mean blonde girl and Victoria. Victoria calls Max a selfie hoe, which... I mean, yeah, she takes a lot of selfies, but she's not hoeing about it. She's not really... No, she's covered up. Like, they're not thirst traps. They're just selfies. Yeah, they're very plain selfies. And Max, sorry, she's not hot by any stretch of the imagination. She's a very normal-looking girl. She's an 18-year-old child. Yeah, she just looks very average. Like, yes, I think she could probably take a cute picture from time to time, but, like, she's not going to be an Instagram thoughty. No, not at all. There are also some dialogue pieces in here where if you speak to Victoria the right way... She will allude to the fact that she went on Max's social media and wrote, go fuck your selfie on some of Max's photos, which is very funny to me. I mean, cyberbullying is a very real thing. It is, but it's also very funny in this instance. I feel very grateful to have not grown up during a time where cyberbullying was really a thing. You're aging yourself. I know, very much so. Anyway, using her time travel savvy, Max can kind of turn on the sprinklers to like scare off Victoria and her friends from blocking the way to the dorm, which is also very funny. Not the fire sprinklers. No, just the regular sprinklers. Oh, okay. And we're, we're over the fire now. And also you're saying dorms, so people are sleeping at school. Yes. This is that kind of academy. So yeah. it's just Hogwarts now. Kind of. <laughs> You can also do a thing using your time travel to drop a bucket of paint on top of Victoria, who's wearing a very fancy cashmere sweater, and she will have a full fucking meltdown. Yeah, I'd go with the paint. Absolutely. You can also be really nice and be like, oh, no, Victoria, or be really mean and be like, ah, go fuck your selfie, bitch. (laughs) Inside the dorm, you get into Max's room, which is just a bunch of sad posters and selfies pinned to the wall. Like, it's very Tumblr. Okay, just live in her room. Yeah. This is a very Tumblr era moment. To get the thumb drive, she needs to go hand some stuff off to her friend, and she gets involved in some teen drama about stealing boyfriends and lying about sexting, which I don't want to get into because it's a whole fucking thing. Yeah, there's some side quests in this for sure that are just unnecessary. When you leave the dorm after getting the actual thumb drive, Max sees Mr. Madsen, that security guard, hassling sad cardigan girl. Max kind of watches, and if she intervenes, she can tell Mr. Madsen to leave that bitch alone, or you can just kind of watch. Either way, sad cardigan girl gets chewed out by the security guard. For what? He's just suspicious of her. He's like, I know you're up to shit. And she's like, I've literally never done anything wrong in my life. And he's like, you're up to shit, and I know it. And she's like, please stop yelling at me, sir. What a dick. Oh, he's a full-ass dick. Sad cardigan girl is named Kate, and she's just like this girl with resting sad face. She looks like she is always about to burst into tears. Just, oh, the the sad girl. Yeah. I've known the sad girl. Back on campus, Max goes up to meet with the boy who is texting her, named Warren, to give him back the thumb drive. He asks about movies she watched on the drive, which includes Cannibal Holocaust and a bunch of emo vampire movies. He's one of those kids that are way too into movies and thinks he's deep because he watches old shit or things people don't like. You know, it's it's a lot. 
I've also known those people. I started college with going for a film degree, so it was like every third person was that asshole. Oh, you were probably that asshole for a minute then, too. I, you know, I've watched a few terrible movies that I've sworn to everybody they should watch. So, yeah, I've been that person <laughs> for sure. You can't, that's like a requirement for going into a film degree. Oh, entirely. You have to have like that one pretentious as fuck movie nobody's ever heard of. Yeah, entirely. <laughs> I don't have that, so go for it, you dick. Anyway, that's his whole personality, and it makes me not miss being young at all. <laughs> because, you know, late 20s, early 30s, everyone's fucking over it. It's fucking great. So he asks if Max wants to go see a movie this weekend, and she's like, I don't know. I got shit to do. While this is happening, Nathan Prescott rolls up on Max, and he is screaming at Max that he knows she was in that bathroom. How does he know? He's fucking crazy. Anyway... He is coming at them super aggro, shoves Warren to the ground, and then grabs Max by the throat. By the throat. This dude should be already just in cuffs. In fucking entirely. There is a short fight, and Max is able to scratch Nathan's face. And as this happens, as a distraction, the blue-haired punk rock girl rolls up in this old truck to, like, save her, and she goes, Max? And Max looks up and finally makes eye contact with blue-haired girl and recognizes her long-lost best friend, Chloe Price. Oh, so they knew each other. It wasn't just like saving a rando. This was saving her former best friend. Yeah. Damn. Nathan looks up and goes, this bitch again? (laughs) (laughs) As Warren tackles Nathan and then just beats him into the ground. Hell yeah. Max takes this opportunity to jump into Chloe's truck and they speed the fuck off. Max goes, holy shit, this day sucks. Chloe goes, um, hi, we haven't seen each other in five years. Pretend you're glad to see me. Oh, shit. Max is glad to see her and they lightly talk about what Nathan was having a meltdown about. Chloe asks about Seattle, the city Max actually left Arcadia Bay for about five years ago. Chloe knows Max only came back to Arcadia Bay for Blackwell Academy, especially Mr. Jefferson, who is a famous photographer from the 90s that she wanted to study under. From the 90s. I love that part of it all. (laughs) Just to be extra Gen X about it. Like, he was a big deal in the 90s. Right. (laughs) Chloe is like, well... That sucks because you left five years ago, never called, texted, emailed, fucking anything. Left without ever saying a word to your best friend. Uh, I I get how painful that is, but I've also been the person who moved. Really? Yeah. And like, it's hard as fuck because people that are like left behind, they kind of just keep going about their lives. And then guess what? You do too. Yeah. And you just start new things and new friendships and new relationships. It's not that you have any kind of negative feeling about the people from before. It's like, oh, no, I hold you like special in my heart forever. Cool. But yeah, we also are going to lose touch and not speak probably ever again. When you're 18, five years of your life is like more than a quarter of your life, though. So it hits so much harder. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And especially like, yeah, you were 13 when you left. Like you were a child. Yeah. It just sucks. It does. It, it's it's hard. That's not an easy conversation to have, definitely. Like, I've run into my former best friends from when I was a child as Aww. an adult, and you're just like, huh, I don't think we'd actually be friends today anyway, so that's fine. <laughs> I'm kind of glad this was naturally, like, tapering off. Yeah. Oh, no. Anyway, Max is like, I'm so sorry. I have 
so much anxiety and I didn't know what to say. Chloe calls bullshit, but she's like, whatever, I'm happy to see you after all this time. Especially after I, like, save you. Yeah, right? And she has no idea that Max actually saved her. Yeah, right? Max looks in her bag and sees that her Polaroid camera is completely shattered from the fight. Oh, shit. And Chloe's like, well, come over. My step douche has a ton of tools you could probably fix your shit with. Step douche. Step douche. Oh, God. That's such a perfect, like, angsty teenager phrase to use on a step parent. It's so good. At Chloe's house, Chloe goes up to her bedroom and it's covered in posters and band tees and just, like, written on the wall graffiti and shit. It's messy, but it reflects the perfect, like, teen angst punk nature of her whole aesthetic and she has that cool like attic bedroom where like the roof of the house is like angled and stuff and so she has that like vaulted ceiling and shit i I love her bedroom it's cool she does have a mattress on the floor which i hate which i had when you met me so whatever i love it it's still gross it's so (laughs) gross i hate it she like sits down she's like well i'm gonna go medicate while you figure out how to fix your shit (laughs) She just starts smoking pot in the middle of her room. Like, doesn't share, which is rude. She doesn't even offer? No. That's fucked up. I mean, granted, she doesn't know if Max partakes or not, but she can at least ask. Totally. Chloe tries to connect with Max by being like, so, what have you been up to? What do you like to do? You know, shit like that. Right. Max rifles through Chloe's shit. And, like, the game mechanic is that you can explore the room, But if this were real life, Chloe sits down to smoke and Max just starts going through her drawers. (laughs) And Max finds a picture of Chloe and another girl, a girl named Rachel Amber. Max recognizes Rachel from these missing person posters that are all over campus. Oh, shit. Chloe says that after Max left and her dad died, she was lost and Rachel stepped in and they became best friends. Max takes this as a note and she apologizes again for leaving. But Chloe just keeps talking about how Rachel was the absolute best and they were going to pick up and just leave Arcadia Bay and go to Los Angeles someday. Mm. Chloe says that her mom remarried super quick to the step douche, which really sucked. She also says that six months ago, Rachel Amber disappeared and Chloe knows something must have happened to her because... There's no way that Rachel would ever leave without Chloe. Right. They had a a pact to go together. Yeah. And just once again, Chloe was abandoned by the person she loved the most without a word. Chloe has this happen a few times in her life, I guess. Yeah. (laughs) Max wanders around Chloe's house to find the tools to fix her camera, noticing this like familiar but older house of her best friend, like she hadn't been in this house for five years. and Everything is the same, but different. Looking around Step Douche's garage, she finds Step Douche's ID and photo. And lo and behold, it's Mr. David Madsen, the asshole security guard at Blackwell. Well, shit, that's a fucking hit in the chest. Just like, of course, it's him. Why is the Step Douche also the security douche? Story reasons. in the step douche garage max finds a gun rack with one gun missing creepy and pictures of kate the sad cardigan girl and the pictures are like written over because he's a crazy person it says she knows something what the fuck max does find some tiny tools like those little tiny tools you can use to fix glasses and she takes them up back to chloe's room to fix her camera and chloe's just like cool lays down keeps smoking pot 
I mean, if she knows how to fix fully a Polaroid camera, that's really impressive. Oh, it would be. Um, <laughs> keep that in mind. Oh. Anyway, Chloe does take some interest in Max between puffs, and she goes over to look at some of Max's new photos and sees a little shot of a blue butterfly in the bathroom. She picks it up and she goes, oh, my God, you were in the bathroom. You pulled the fire alarm. You saved my life. She asks Max point blank if she was there. And Max can either lie or say she was there like a ninja. So had she seen the butterfly in the bathroom at one point? She must have. Yeah. Yeah. Max can also be like, I did not recognize you at all. (laughs) Chloe's then like, so you must have heard what we were yelling about. Sorry about that. Right. Dramatic. Chloe turns and says that she knows Max's birthday was last month. And now because the current camera is toast, because as this is happening, Max realizes she, in fact, cannot fix her camera. (laughs) She wants Max to have her dad's old camera. Oh, that's really sweet. Like we mentioned, Chloe's dad has passed. Chloe says her dad would be sad if the camera didn't get any use. And Max accepts this new camera and she and Chloe start dancing in her room. Max takes pictures of Chloe smoking and jumping on the bed and intermittently just kind of jumps around too. But then the step douche gets home. He's screaming at Chloe to turn the music off. Chloe tells Max to hide in the closet and the step douche bursts into the room, completely furious that Chloe is blasting punk music. He's also like, you went through my shit downstairs. Ah, stay out of my shit. One of my guns is missing. And he's like, where's my missing gun? Oh, shit. Now, we know Max didn't take that. We know Max sure as fuck didn't take it. Whoops. He also finds a joint and starts screaming at her and, like, orders her to say who it is. He's literally like, that's an order. Tell me whose it is. Max can keep hiding or she can bust out of the closet and say it was hers. If you do bust out of the closet, he screams at Max about being a troublemaker. And he's like... I knew you were trouble at Blackwell. Fuck you. (laughs) If she doesn't, though, and Max stays in the closet, Chloe's like, fuck you. And he hits Chloe. Oh, shit. Like straight up smacks her. Damn. Either way, he makes it all about being a soldier and being a piece of shit about it and not following orders from your superiors. He's just the fucking worst. So this is somebody who never rose in the ranks in the military, but then got home was like, well, now I'm in charge. Yeah. Like couldn't handle it. And, like, made it his personality, but in, like, the worst way possible. Gross. He leaves the room, and Chloe is like, I took your gun, fuck you. <laughs> oh, damn, okay. So, But she, like, waits for him to leave, so she's like, that motherfucker. <laughs> Max comes out of the closet, and Chloe's like, well, I have a gun. Let's go sneak out of the house. So they go out the window, and they're like, let's just go out a bit more for our reunited tour. I mean, personally, I think if you find out that you have a missing gun in your home, you drop everything until that gun is found. You'd think. But not this guy. Cool. (laughs) It wasn't in his orders, soldier. (laughs) Chloe takes Max up to the lighthouse where Max has deja vu because this is the same path she was on during the storm in her nightmare today. Anyway, Chloe is like, I'm so sorry about step douche. He's a fucking lunatic. He's a shithead. Max is like, yeah, totally. I found all these pictures of Kate and like I found a map of cameras that are like stationed in your house. And Chloe's like, hold the fuck up. 
He's taking pictures of bitches on campus with like deranged notes and there's cameras hidden around my house. What the fuck, dude? Max is like, yeah, that dude's fucking crazy. I mean, depending on where those cameras are in your house, that could be very creepy and disturbing. It's like it's like hallways and shit. Nothing's in the bathroom. That's to be very clear. (laughs) Yeah. Or her bedroom. That's the other big scare. Yeah. Chloe reveals that she was meeting Nathan Prescott out at a bar the other night and Nathan dosed her with like some bad shit. Chloe and Rachel snuck into Nathan's room to try and steal his shit and fuck with him, but he had dosed her. She woke up and he was creeping on her, but she was able to like fight him off and escape. She figured she would make him pay to keep her quiet and get some money out of him because he has hella money, but he showed up with a gun. So that plan is fucked. Yeah. She needed money to pay off her dealer to get her and Rachel out of town so they could escape to L.A. And that's kind of where all this drama led to. And so she's still of the mindset that Rachel's coming back for her. Rachel, something happened to Rachel, but she's like, there's a chance we can figure this out. We'll we'll make it work and we'll run away to L.A. together. Chloe says it feels so insane to see Max again after all these years and frankly, after so much loss. They're sitting out under the lighthouse, and they have a moment. Through this moment, Max starts feeling weird, grabs her head, and in a flash is brought back to her nightmare storm dream. She sees a ghostly doe in the distance, on the trail, and she follows it. She looks, trying to see if Chloe was still up there on their bench, but doesn't see her. She's never seen a storm like this in Oregon. Once again, she sees the storm pick up a boat and fly it straight into the lighthouse, just like it did in her dream earlier. The storm and the tornado and tsunami brewing rages on as she looks around. Chloe isn't there, but destruction is clearly imminent. She finds a newspaper showing that the date is this coming Friday, October 11th. She's like, that's four fucking days away. Okay, so she has seen the future, allegedly. She snaps back and she's on the ground with Chloe looking at her saying she blacked out. So she like, This wasn't just a dream. She was like unconscious as shit while this is happening. So this is like a full vision. You are not wrong in saying this is some final destination shit. Right. Max is like, no, I'm okay. But this is real. There is a huge storm coming. Chloe says Oregon gets a tornado every 20 years. So like calm down. Max also takes this moment to say, by the way, I can reverse time. I mean, honestly, if anybody's going to believe it, it will be high-ass Chloe. Chloe says, that's not a thing. <laughs> okay, never mind. She says, this isn't a video game. You don't have powers. And Max says, no, I have powers. And this is a video game. Chloe says, you need to get high. It's been a hella intense fucking day. Now she's offering. <laughs> she waited so long to pass it. As they come together, it starts snowing light snowflakes on both of them. Max says, is this climate change? Chloe is like, it's 80 degrees out. Something is going on. Chloe tells Max to start from the beginning and tell her everything. The camera pans up to the sunset and gives glimpses into other people's lives in Arcadia Bay. David Madsen is outside the house noticing snowflakes. Warren is working on his computer. Kate is sobbing alone in her dorm room. Which one was Kate? Sad cardigan girl. Got it. A man comes out of an RV with a foot-tall bong to look at the snow. Victoria rips down a missing poster for Rachel Amber. Indie music takes over the animation sequence as we traverse through a slice of life in the town. 
At the very end, we see a pan over thick books, all in red casings. Each one has a different girl's name on them. The last one in the lineup says Rachel. Episode two, out of time. What the shit? That was the end of episode one. Yeah. Okay. So we just got like a glimpse that one, there is a list of girls before Rachel Amber. Yep. Ooh, that's some darkness. It's so dark. Oh, it's it's nice to get like a slice of life moment across the town, which is kind of fun. But then it, you're there like, oh, this is a horror. There's something horrible happening in this town. And I like that it was characters we've seen and characters we haven't met yet. Yeah. Like we don't know who's coming out of the RV with the big bong. Yeah. And like sad girl is sad. Of course she's sad. She's always sad, but snow doesn't make it any better for her. I'm sure. <laughs> right. Max wakes up in her dorm room. It's very subtle, but there's a poster that looks like the classic cover of Catcher in the Rye and in a book called The Time Machine all out there. And Max's last name is Caulfield, like Holden Caulfield and Catcher in the Rye. And she is a time machine. So like they're doing a whole thing. You know what I like about it? Do you like the heavy handedness? The heavy handedness, yeah. <laughs> She's apparently been researching quantum physics all night and is exhausted. Also, just as a fun game mechanic, there's a plant in your room, and if you don't water the plant, it will die. I also love that she was just like, I'm going to look up quantum physics. Casually. Yeah. Just for conversation. I need to understand that. Yeah. Max makes her way to the dorm bathrooms to get her day started, and she hears some girls gossiping about the Vortex Club and saying that everyone's seen this by now. Some video is clearly going around campus. Max isn't cool enough to know what's happening in school, so she's, like, completely oblivious to this. In the bathrooms, Max runs into Kate, the sad cardigan girl. She is super depressed and looks like she just got done crying, which, yes, is her, like, standard mode, but extra right now. Okay. Max takes a shower in this, like, David Cage minus the nudity-inspired sequence. Like, we get a lot of shots of her just running her fingers through her hair. It's a lot. Really unnecessary. Like, again, I say, like, she's not a sexualized character at all. No. So to have these weird... And and showering's not sexual, but the nudity of it is. Yeah. We don't see anything. Like, you get, like, neck up of her being like, ah, water. (laughs) This is great. But it's like... We spend a lot of camera time on her, and it's it's like, can we get over this? I want to get back to the story. Yeah, showering's not a necessary thing for you to watch in the game. Entirely. Anyway, Victoria comes in, that pixie bitch, to bully Kate and saying the video of Kate was going around. Victoria thinks it's awesome that Kate set a tongue record on video, which is such an insane thing to say to another person. Tongue record? Yeah. What's a tongue record? Well... She calls Kate a virtual slut, and that makes Kate run out of the bathroom. So, you know. So she was uh, getting some tongue action or giving some tongue action on video. Oh, God. Victoria and her mean girl friends are in there, and they're also talking about how Max is like a super try-hard loser, which like Max had nothing to do with this. They're just going to be like, who else can we bully right now? And like, what is she doing to be a try-hard? nothing she's actually not trying hard at all she's making no effort with these people she could not care less she simply exists yeah with her selfies actually maybe it's the polaroid thing right yeah it's probably the polaroid thing okay 
Not that she deserves it. I'm just trying to figure out where the justification is in trying. Right, in their in their phrase. I mean, again, she is really just jealous that Mr. Jefferson, like, pays attention to Max, and she's been there, what, a month? Yeah, entirely. She's like, you are new, and our teacher, who I am in love with, keeps saying you have a gift, and I am jealous, because fuck you. Anyway, Victoria writes something on the mirror, and then she and her little mean girlfriends leave. Max finishes the most awkward shower of her life and leaves her little bathroom stall and sees the mirror has the words www.katesvid.com, which for a while was a working website, but does not work anymore. Oh, damn. That's great. I mean, yeah, I was going to say these rich kids can afford the web hosting fees, but I guess Square Enix couldn't for the long term. (laughs) This game's been out for a while. (laughs) It used to link to a video of Kate making out with a bunch of people at a vortex club party last night so like a bunch of people in a row yeah nice the video is called church girl gone wild i mean if you've ever known a church girl no they don't get very wild oh <laughs> that's right catholic school huh? <laughs> no i'm kidding i actually used to buy ecstasy from someone in my in a church youth group yeah i was gonna say uh, th- um. <laughs> there are definitely the church girls that are good and there are the church girls that are not like my best friend went to a different high school than me but our parents went to the same church so we knew each other from growing up going to like sunday school and shit so like we'd be like oh yeah drop us off for thursday fucking church group and like i'd be like let's go buy pot <laughs> and she'd be like Cool. And like she didn't, she loved me a couple times, but she was definitely there to babysit, which was like very sweet of her. I still love you very dearly. I will not name you, but yeah. Awesome girl. I took my first pregnancy test in a bathroom with her. Were you her, Chloe? Oh my God, was I her? Do you think I'm her Chloe knowing who it is? Yeah. I'm a little more Chloe. Her Chloe. (laughs) She's definitely a Max. Yeah, 100%. Oh, well, that doesn't bode well for the ending of this game. (laughs) Sorry, babe. I do say hella too much. Anyway, there's a Halloween party coming up that Max does not want to go to, but is basically peer pressured into by some other girls on her dorm room floor. And she's like, whatever. Anyway, Max goes back to her dorm room where someone went into her room and spray painted over her selfie wall. Nobody messes with me, bitch. Like, who the f- she's not messing with anyone. And this is literally a Tumblr wall where it's like Polaroids like taped to the wall in a big grid. So, you know, it's probably like a hundred Polaroids that take up this whole wall and someone spray painted all over it. Nobody messes with me, bitch. That's insane. Yeah, that's the work of a crazy person. Yeah. I mean, it's obviously pixie bitch Victoria, but Max is like, ah, that sucks. Like, she's not as mad as she should be. This is like the anti-Nepo baby game. (laughs) Yeah, very much so. Also, her room is like a little trash. Like, this bitch got her shit rocked, and she is being really casual about it. She's just like, oh, man, I'm being bullied. Like, Max doesn't have the anger in her. She's too shy and too soft for this kind of shit. And she just found out she's got an in with the head of security. Like... Who hates her. That's true. Who hates her and hates his stepdaughter and hates everybody at the school yeah and thinks everyone's up to some shit so she absolutely does not have an in with the head of security yeah go fuck (laughs) yourself that is not a a factor in this game at all she's really just got this plant that may or may not be dying and a best friend who also has a big grudge against her anyway max picks up a book she has to return to kate and comes up on kate's room who is just it's so sad kate is just crying by herself in her room when max shows up It's all she does. 
Max comes in and she's like, hey, Kate. And as Max, you can rummage through her shit while she's sobbing and not paying attention and find an email from Kate's mom saying that the principal reached out to them to tell them about a viral video of their daughter. Oh, shit. It's like, that's how serious it's getting. That's bad. Where the admins are reaching out to parents. Like, that's not a good sign. Yeah, I've seen that happen before. It's never fun. No. Also, Kate has a pet bunny who is very, very cute. But that's just for me. She gets to have a bunny at school, though. That's pretty cool. That's some Hogwarts shit. I was going to say, that's some Hogwarts shit. Anyway, Kate reveals that security officer step douche Madsen has been stalking her because he thinks that Kate is a part of the Vortex Club and he's trying to investigate it. I mean, she's been making out with everybody at the Vortex Club. That would assume that means she's a part of it. Oh, entirely. But she's not. Kate is like, I went to one party. I don't know these people. Oh. Max pushes Kate to talk about the video and Kate's literally like, again, I just went to one party. I had one sip of red wine and then I had water and I apparently made out with a bunch of people. Oh, no. So there's a high chance that somebody slipped her a Mickey. She says she doesn't remember anything at all, but she was getting sick and dizzy. And Nathan Prescott said he'd take her to the hospital. Kate said he was being nice and he drove her around, but... Then she just woke up in a bright white room. She heard a soft voice and she thought it was a doctor and then heard Nathan and felt something sharp stinging in her neck. And then she remembers nothing. And then the next day she just woke up at her dorm room without any marks or bruises. But she just had this icky feeling. She just felt really gross. Oh, my God. This is some darkness. Oh, my God. Yeah. Oh, wow. She also is like, I have no idea who took the video. I don't remember kissing anyone. I don't know what happened. And she's like, so, Max, I got to ask, how do I get a video on the Internet taken down? Like, Max is going to fucking know. <laughs> Max is like, I, I have no idea, but I will help you. I am here for you. I got you. Kate asks Max to help her figure out if Nathan Prescott helped her or hurt her after the party. Kate asks Max if she should go to the cops or look for evidence. This is where you can open up a couple of dialogue options. We're not going to get into that. Max leaves Kate's room and gets completely text bombed by Chloe, telling her to go get breakfast with her and to not use emojis. To never use emojis? Yeah, Chloe's a bitch. Um, <laughs> you don't get to dictate what other people do. No, that's an insane thing. They've been friends again for 18 hours and she's like, never send me emojis. What the fuck? I mean, have you ever been in a relationship with somebody who wants you to immediately become the person they used to be in a relationship with? No. Oh, you haven't. Good. Have you? Yeah, I've definitely encountered that before where it's just like they were on like this set of like, we were in a groove. We had this thing going and... I want to be in that groove and you need to fit that groove. Oh, that's horrible. I have so much like, I don't know if it's ego or like stubbornness, but the second someone's like, don't do this or like speak to me this way, I'm like, oh, you can go fuck yourself. I'm done. <laughs> um, you know, I just, the second I hear it, this, the hairs on my neck stand up and I'm like, absolutely fucking not. I'm over it. I will either ghost or fight my way out of this. Um, and it's, those people are confrontational, so it's usually a fight. I mean, I've encountered people who have tried, but... 
no. There, actually, now that you're saying it, there are a couple of friendships that are popping into my mind of like, I need you to talk to me like this. And I'm like, I need you to eat my asshole because that's not going to fucking happen. Stand up for yourself, kids. Don't let people push you around. Fuck that shit. Yeah, you are absolutely a Chloe. I'm such a but I'm not like a Chloe to be like, don't send me emojis. I'm like, fucking go off, bitch. Do what you want. I'm a respectful Chloe. That's true. Yeah. Chloe doesn't have the best life, so please stop saying that. <laughs> That's true, too. On the way off campus, Max runs into Warren, who is completely beat up from jumping Nathan yesterday. So Warren's whole deal is he's a film nerd who has a big crush on Max. He's like, okay. Planet of the Apes is playing at the drive-in, and I think you and I should go together because you love those old school ape movies. Let's do it. I got my ass kicked for you. Now, Come is on. he saying that as like, I'm telling you, you like those old ape movies, or she has maybe mentioned to him? I think she mentioned it to him. I think they kind of bond over like weird shit because she does seem to kind of hang a little bit with movie talk, but she's just not as much of a fucking nerd as he is. That's fair. Okay. But he's kind of like, I got my ass kicked for you. Come on. And she's like, uh, huh? Fine. Anyway, Max takes the bus down to the Two Whales Diner. It's this like gorgeous old school Americana diner that she remembers looking exactly the same from her childhood. Yeah, it's like an old train car, like a trolley car kind of a thing. It's, like, a, it's been converted. Yeah, it's exactly what you think of when you're like an old school diner moment. It's just like one long hallway bucket kind of thing. There's a bar that people drink coffee at and booths on the side. It's beautiful. Waitress is going to call you honey a whole bunch of times. Oh, you know she will. It's up on the water. There's people at the bar drinking coffee. They're all regulars. Everyone's a regular. Every head turns whenever the door opens just to see who walked in. Yeah. <laughs> Max grabs a booth in the back. And the waitress, who of course calls her honey, is Joyce Price, Chloe's mom. Is Chloe related to everybody in fucking town? Just the two. Just, <laughs> <laughs> just her mom and step douche. Uh, but yeah, her mom is obviously the waitress at the Two Whales Diner. Her dad is step douche. That's it. She has no brothers or sisters, so no nothing to worry about there. All right. No surprise cousins coming up. No. Anyway, Joyce comes up and she's like, and she's so happy to see Max after all this time because obviously, you know, you get to know your best friend's parents when you're a kid because you spend all your time at each other's houses and shit. It's very sweet. Right. The last good influence my daughter had before you met. Yeah. <laughs> they chat for a bit and Joyce brings Max breakfast. It's it's a really sweet moment. Chloe comes in and gets her mom to bring her a free breakfast and then she puts something loud and angry on the jukebox. It's just she comes in like such a fucking hurricane of like, ah, I'm here. I want bacon. <laughs> My mom runs this place. Yeah. And her mom's like, shut up, Chloe. And then she's like, all right, Max, you got to tell me about your powers. So Max does this bit where she has Chloe pull everything out of her pockets and then she rewinds time to tell Chloe everything that was in her pockets, which is like a fun bar trick, basically. Right. She also rewinds time and predicts a few events, which will all happen in the diner. She's like, that guy fucking like breaks his mug. That guy stands up all this shit. And this fully convinces Chloe that Max has superpowers. And she's just like on board and has accepted this. Yeah. From here on out, she's like, cool. Max has superpowers. I'm in. Yeah, entirely. So while Max is doing this, her nose starts bleeding. Chloe looks up and is like, have you been doing too much blow? Too much blow. No, it's just that anytime somebody has a superpower suddenly, 
their nose has to bleed in fucking every form of medium. Every single goddamn time. Why is that always the thing? They're just like any brain power would like cause too much blood to come up to your brain and then the overflow must escape your nose. It must be like because like if a person has a brain aneurysm or something, their nose will bleed. So oh, is that like, a thing? I don't know. I've I haven't done enough research on brain aneurysms, but I would oh. just like why did that become the trope? What would be worse though? Ears bleeding. Ears bleeding would be like subtle but gross. Crying yeah, right. blood like coming out of oh, your eyes. Like, like I think that would be fucked up. Like go go and kill Bill. Yeah, I think yeah. Anytime blood's coming from somewhere, like your nose, you know, bleeds. From time to time. Yeah. But your ears aren't supposed to bleed. Your eyes aren't supposed to bleed. That's way more scary. That's true. That's very true. What if you just started crying uncontrollably? Blood or just regular tears? No, just regular tears. Like when you're cutting onions and it just kind of flows out of you. I mean. I think that'd be funny. Then you're just fucking Kate. (laughs) Yeah, then you're just sad cardigan girl. Yeah. All right, never mind. Anyway, speaking of sad cardigan girl, Kate Marsh calls Max and Chloe gets very upset. She's like, oh, what, you're going to hang out with your other friend? You're hanging out with me. Why Why is she, like, fucking monopolizing your time? And Max is like, what the fuck is wrong with you? Oh, my God, this jealous bitch. Yeah. Max is like, and Max can either take the call and be like, shut the fuck up, Chloe. Or she can be like, sorry, Chloe, and, like, put her phone away. But, like, I'm kind of hyperbolizing because... Max is very gentle. She's never going to say, fuck you, Chloe. Right. That's you projecting onto Max. That's my Chloe energy (laughs) entirely. I'm so sorry. But yeah, Chloe's just, Chloe's obnoxious. She's just like, you're spending time with me. Why are you taking time out of our time? I haven't seen you in so long. She like guilt trips her. It's very narcissistic behavior, frankly, to be like, me, 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 my time. And like isolating her. Like it's, she's not a good friend. Anyway, after that moment, Chloe takes Max to a junkyard to, like, test her powers. It's literally, like, exactly what you think of a junkyard. It's in the middle of fucking nowhere. There's, like, old cars and shit. There's rusty boats and, like, trash and signage that's, like, fallen apart. All sorts of crazy shit. And it's, like, Chloe's favorite place to go. It is literally her favorite place on Earth. (laughs) (laughs) And Chloe does the responsible thing, and she whips out her gun and then simultaneously starts drinking a beer. This is just reckless behavior on every level, and she's, what, 17, 18? Yes. Oh, God. Please do not drink and shoot guns, ever. That is a bad idea. Regardless of your age. Yeah. Just in general, life tips, don't do that. Don't bio-shot and shoot. (laughs) Don't bio-shot and shoot. Go fuck your selfie. Chloe makes Max scrounge up beer bottles in Tetanus Island while she continues to just get drunk by herself. So, like... Not only is she not sharing, which is like the cardinal rule of being a teenager. If you're holding, share. You know, don't be a dick. She already bogarted the joint, so I'm not surprised by this. Yeah, and then she just sits there drinking while she makes Max scrounge around a literal trash heap for glass. (laughs) Dig around in the trash for me. Yeah. So while Max is scrounging for scraps, she finds a dough and she can take a picture of it before it hops off into the wilderness, which is kind of fun. There are some, like, cool nature shots you can take optionally through the game to kind of build up your photography skills. It's not plot relevant, but it is kind of cool, and I'd be remiss if I didn't bring it up. I mean, you can also sit on benches and just stare off into nothingness for however long you want. I wouldn't be remiss if I didn't bring that up, but thanks. Uh, (laughs) That's fine. 
Anyway, Chloe takes all of your hard-earned beer bottles and just starts shooting haphazardly at them. And she makes Max rewind if Chloe missed the shot so Chloe can work on her aim. So, like, Chloe will pew-pew at the beer bottle, and if she goes a little too far to the left, Max will rewind and be like, all right, you went too far to the left last time. Aim a little more right. (laughs) I was going to say, how does she learn from her mistakes if she's not the one traveling through time? But I guess, yeah, Max is telling her what's wrong. Really? <laughs> yeah, she can't get into her head and be like, I don't know, aim further right than you were going to. It really just turns into Max having her ears blown out by listening to guns go off over and over and over again. Oh, God, right? <laughs> and also, like, Chloe has witnessed already, this bitch bleeds when she uses her power. She's like, keep doing it. Yeah. Chloe's not a good friend. Anyway, they're causing havoc, shooting shit, and then this creepy, greasy guy shows up. He is the same guy that was smoking weed out of the RV in the end of the last episode. Mystery man. His name is Frank, and he knows Chloe real well. Oh? Chloe is not happy to see him, as that's the guy she owes a ton of money to. Oh, that kind of knows really well. Chloe looks at him, and she spots a bracelet on him, and she's like, that's Rachel Amber's bracelet. Give it to me. And she, like, runs over to, like, rip it off of him. Oh, no, the missing girl. He pulls a knife on Chloe, and he's like, I'll fucking tear you apart. So this went from zero to 60. Real Real fucking fucking quick. Max has Chloe's gun, and if she tries to shoot Frank, she'll realize that the gun is out of bullets. Thank God. And Frank says he'll remember that Max tried to shoot him. If Max doesn't shoot Frank, Frank casually walks over and takes the gun out of Max's hands. Either way, he goes to Chloe with his knife and says, Get me my money by Friday. And then he dips. I mean, regardless if it's empty or not, it would not be good that he had the gun. No, no. Everything's terrible. I mean, honestly, nobody in this situation should have the gun. (laughs) No, not even fucking step douche who has the gun. Right. But like, no one should have the gun. Anyway, Chloe and Max dip out of the rust ditch and they start walking along these train tracks because they're just like, fuck this. We got to walk it off. Max is so nervous about Frank. She's like, what the fuck, man? And Chloe is fronting really hard about being like a tough girl. She's like, fuck that dude, whatever. I'm not scared of him. Chloe says that she used to hang out with Frank and borrowed money from him so Chloe and Rachel could leave Arcadia Bay. Chloe is sad that Max and Rachel never met. So her plan was to take this money and run. Yeah. She never intended to pay this guy back. No, not at all. And she's like, why is he being a dick? Yeah, I can understand why he's being a dick. You were going to fuck him over. And now that your plan is over, uh, you're, you got to pay him. Yeah, go figure. Which, uh, what, what did she do with the money? I, I think she just bought weed. That sounds like Chloe. Because she's also just doing weed, by the way. Like, there's occasional drinking, but she's mostly just smoking weed. Like, she's not doing anything more on the expensive side, if you know what I mean. But wasn't she buying it from Frank? Yes. <laughs> you should have caught on. Yes. Nobody's smart in this tiny town. No, despite being academy people, <laughs> right. none of these people are very smart. Anyway, Chloe's like, man, I wish you and Rachel met. We would have all been hella best friends forever, which is also not the right use of hella. Like, the issue with Chloe is that she uses hella a lot and never in the right syntax, like, in, never in the right spots. It's bad. It's just bad. Oh, I totally understand that one. Like, for example, there was older SNL sketch that used to come on. It was called Inside SoCal, and they'd always <laughs> be, like, making fun of people from San Diego. And granted, the people they were making fun of sounded absolutely perfect. 
except for their use of the word gangster. Oh. They misused gangster through the entire fucking sketch in terms of how people from SoCal use it. Oh. And like, for example, he's like, that's my stepdad. Yeah, he's pretty gangster. We didn't say it like that. It was like, oh, no, these these nachos are gangster. Very different kind of a uh, adjective. You make it sound stupider in your version. <laughs> oh, it is. It's entirely stupid. It was right to be made fun of. Okay. But they still did it wrong. And oh. it sounds like that's kind of what they did here. They're like, we know people use hella. We just don't necessarily understand how they use hella. I don't know where to put the word, so I'm just going to insert it wherever I feel like it. Right. And you're like, no, you're being a little too liberal with that. Calm down. Anyway, Chloe and Max are playing, and then they lay down on the train tracks, because that's a good thing to do, you fucking idiots. And suddenly, Max blacks out again, and she sees the tornado coming for Arcadia Bay. It's still huge and looming and all-consuming, and she's just like, holy shit, the storm is fucking coming. As she comes back, she hears Chloe screaming that she's stuck on the train tracks. Oh, shit. Chloe's boot is fully stuck inside of the track, and the sound of a train is coming in the distance. Fucking Chloe, like, you basically live in this junkyard. Yeah. Why are you playing on a train track, and then why are you, like, sticking your feet in it? I mean, this girl was also drinking and shooting a gun. I don't expect her to make really good decisions. She's so dumb. <laughs> she is screaming at Max to get her out of there because she can't dig herself out of the problem she just got herself into. Max buys herself time and manages to get Chloe free, who still manages to complain about getting splinters in her ass after getting trapped. This girl just whines a lot. Ugh, it's so bad. Anyway, she's like... Not as grateful as she should be, but is like, okay, thanks for getting me free from the train. Whatever. Chloe drops Max back off at school where they're both just like, hey, thanks. I'm really glad we can hang out again. Chloe thinks that Max's powers have something to do with the storm. And she brings up chaos theory and that it could be the end of the world or something. But whatever. We have each other and we love each other. Since when does Chloe study chaos theory? I don't know. It's she probably heard a podcast about it. <laughs> I don't know. She probably you know, like in the last podcast on the left where like they talk about chaos theory and right. shit. I bet it's some shit like that. Like I would give it some like high conspiracy energy here. Got it. Max is gonna go to Mr. Jefferson's photography class because like this whole thing happened so early in the day she can still make it to school. Right. Max ends up wandering around campus, and she sees some notes about the end of the world party from the Vortex Club this Thursday. And she's like, hmm, cool. I have to schmooze my way into getting invited to that party. And there's, like, some interactions with staff and students that you have to do, and you can, like, talk to other friends and stuff. But there's nothing too crazy aside from, like, making sure you get on the list for this party. Hanging out with Warren's a thing, but whatever. It's the elite thing to do. Yeah. When you get to your classroom, you see Kate and Mr. Jefferson talking, and then Kate storms off, sad. I don't like that Mr. Jefferson's shirt is buttoned down to be a V-neck, by the way. I'm just going to throw that out there. Oh, he goes super deep with the unbuttoning. It's a deep V. Yeah. Anyway, Mr. Jefferson talks to Max about Kate, and Mr. Jefferson suggests that maybe Kate is bringing all this drama upon herself. Which, like, victim blaming? Really? I mean, this guy just sounds like he is the biggest fucking tryhard I've ever heard of in my life. Like, he wants to be the cool teacher. Ew, isn't that so gross? And he works really hard to be the cool teacher. Yeah. 
Anyway, Max can kind of sneakily bring up Rachel Amber and Mr. Jefferson goes, hey, I miss Rachel, but, you know, Rachel and Kate probably have nothing to do with each other. Anyway, I have a phone call. I have to go. And he like walks off to take a call. What did fucking Rachel Amber have to do with Kate? Max is just kind of poking around. She's like, there's weird shit happening. What do you think about Rachel Amber? <laughs> right. She's not a she's not an investigator. This is not like the Batman discovery pieces in those games. <laughs> she's not Columbo. Yeah. Anyway, in the classroom, Victoria and Nathan are sitting on Max's desk. They're such dicks. Nathan calls Max an attention whore. And they just do, like, this weird, intimidating kid shit and, like, tell her to take a selfie of herself. And it's 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 all very go drink a bottle of yourself, you know? It's, like, such stupid teen intimidation shit. Well, it sounds like these kids who have, I hate saying it, but they've worked really hard to be the popular kids. And they see any kind of outside source as being a threat to that popularity. Yeah. Because these people don't have, like, the context for why they're popular or anything. Yeah. <laughs> They're just rich. Yeah. You just see them. You're like, oh, you were rich. That's why you're popular. Like, no, I have cultivated a personality and blah, 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 blah kind of bullshit. And so all these rich kids just keep hating on this new girl because she came in. She's probably not from like the same wealth status as them. It sounds like she got in on talent. So she's probably there on kind of a scholarship, I would imagine. Yeah. And these guys just fucking hate Somebody who gets in on their talent rather than somebody who gets in on their parents' money. Totally. They're like, your daddy ain't shit. Fuck you. But also like, oh, no, I'm intimidated. But they feel like they belong there more than the person who got there on pure talent. Yeah, definitely. Oh, it's it's fucking gross. It's so obnoxious. Max looks outside the classroom and she sees sad-ass Kate walking alone in the rain, which is like the saddest image of all time. And then she also sees security guard Mr. Madsen taking photos of Kate. And she's like, what the fuck? Warren comes into the classroom and sits on Max's desk after Victoria and Nathan left. And he's like, hey, I just saw Kate walk away crying. Kate's always crying, Warren. Don't worry about it. Yeah. The class starts. Mr. Jefferson tells Warren to get out because he's not in the class. And then he's like, where the fuck did Kate go? Where's Kate? You don't even go here. Yeah. Mr. Jefferson also, like, opens his class by bringing up Kate's video and is like, how would you like it if videos were going around about you guys? Which is such an aggressive way to start a conversation that doesn't include the person and, like, everyone knows what you're talking about. Like, what are you doing? This is not appropriate coming from our photography teacher. Granted, I agree 90% with what you just said. However, I do think it's appropriate to take a to take an aggressive stance with these types of kids to like yeah. try to get them to understand the consequences of their actions. Yeah, especially if there's kids as bratty as Nathan and Victoria in that room that where you need to be hard with them and be like, the fuck is wrong with you, you know? Right, and had he gotten her permission to talk about it, it'd be a completely different fucking story. Yeah. But the fact that he does it without her permission, he is just not going about this the right way at all. And the fact that he also... A moment earlier was like talking to Max going, maybe she brought this on herself. Yeah, he's not the right person to be dealing with it. No. I think somebody could be taking an aggressive stance with it to get this to stop, but I don't think he was the right person. However, the staff might have looked at him and been like, well, you're the one that's popular with the kids, so you should do it. (laughs) That's so sad to be like, you're the hot one. (laughs) 
you gotta go lead the children. Basically, yeah. What dystopian nightmare. They'll listen to you because they think you're hot. Anyway, a student that we don't know busts into the classroom screaming, there's some crazy shit going on outside the girl's dorm. And everyone just runs out, which I've never seen happen in a school, which is crazy. I'll tell you this. I came to school and announced 9-11 and that didn't happen. What the fuck? Why was that your job? I was running late to school during on the day of 9-11 and I stopped at McDonald's and I took extra time and then I heard it on the radio. That's how it happened. Why'd you go to school? Why wouldn't you just turn around and be like, you know what? It's a good day to not go to school. Didn't understand what was happening yet. That's fair. Yeah, it wasn't until we really turned on the news and watched what was going on that we finally understood what was going on. That's crazy. Anyway, Mr. Jefferson is like, wait, don't go. But they are all just pouring out of the classroom because fuck you, Mr. Jefferson. I heard some crazy shits going on. I'm going after it. Hell yeah. Outside in the rain, there's a crowd of students outside of the girls' dorms. Max comes out and looks up to see Kate standing on top of the building. She jumps. Oh, shit. Max watches as Kate's body dives to the ground with the entire school watching her. And she's like, oh, fuck. No. Max pushes herself to rewind time and somehow manages to actually freeze the scene and Mm. walks through her frozen fellow students. Max goes up to the roof where Kate is and comes up on Kate still standing at the edge of the roof of the dorms. Okay, so she didn't stop it like mid-fall. No. She rewound and then stopped. Yeah. Okay. Max's nose is pouring blood, and she tries to rewind again, but she can't. She figures her powers aren't working now. Maybe she exhausted them, pulling everything back. Well, yeah. I mean, she hadn't walked around in frozen time yet at this point, had she? No. Okay, so this is like the first time doing that. Yeah, when you get new powers, you need new nosebleeds. Exactly. Kate turns around, sees Max, and says, go away. Leave me alone. Max begs her not to do anything crazy. And here is some dramatic ass shit because now Max literally has to talk a hurt girl off of the edge of a building. Oh, my gosh. And this has real consequences. Now, Tom fucked this up. I did. Again. I got a character fucking killed. Okay, so yeah, there's permadeath here. Yeah. Um, I did not fuck this up. I didn't know you could fuck this up. I didn't know you could fuck this up either. (laughs) So, to our point, Kate can be talked down, or she can be like, fuck you, and jump off the roof, as she had obviously originally intended. Yeah, I never thought I would... uh... Not be able to talk somebody down, but apparently I can't. I used to work at a crisis intervention hotline and have hours and hours and hours of training in this area, so I perhaps had an advantage. You had a bit of an advantage over me, yes. Yeah, I did do that for a long time. Not to say that crisis counseling is an advantage of any kind, but... No, it is probably one of the hardest things I've ever done in my life, but I am a good communicator. Um, I can talk about feelings pretty well. And there are probably plenty of people that are very grateful you were there, so. No matter what happens and how this conversation goes, you cannot rewind and change your dialogue, change your attitude, whatever. The fact is, you have a conversation with Kate. It goes well enough where you can tell her people love her and it's okay, or she jumps. And when you make these big decisions, what happens on the screen? The screen actually really breaks into like a full screen moment. And when you have the really large kind of big forks in the road, it really breaks down to like 
do this or do that. And you have to take a really serious beat of like, how do I kind of steer the next bit of the chapter and stuff, which is it kind of signifies where the big important pieces are. This one does play out like a regular dialogue tree. um, But man, this one's fucking rough. And to represent all of the different changes that could come down the road because of it. Oh, you do get a little blue butterfly in the corner because this is a butterfly effect game. Right. It's again, I love the heavy handedness. <laughs> I, I I will argue that it is worse than until dawn because they literally have a conversation where characters go, here's what the butterfly effect is. And then they <laughs> say butterfly effect like a couple times and until dawn. That's true. Um, With this one, you just. Obviously, the butterfly happens in the bathroom and we see it on on the fucking screen, but these aren't subtle. Whatever. It was early for this kind of game. That's true. No, the first always looks cliched in the rearview mirror. Yeah, exactly. Anyway, no matter what happens, later on on campus, you're outside with Warren talking about how wild it is that you may or may not have seen someone jump off the roof. Max confides in Warren that there's something crazy happening and she's looking into what happened to Kate and what happened to Rachel Amber. They get distracted by looking up and seeing a partial eclipse. Warren says there is no eclipse scheduled today and then the moon just starts to cover the sun. As this happens, a chill starts to sweep campus and Warren scoots closer to Max to hold her and keep her warm during this unscheduled eclipse. Did she ask him to keep her warm? No, but it's happening and she's like, okay, I guess this is happening now. It is kind of cold. Yeah. And also the sun is being eaten by the stars, surprisingly. Yeah, she's already reversing time. That shouldn't really surprise her. Yeah, but it's surprising everyone else because no one else knows someone can just fuck with time now. That's fair. A sweet indie song comes on and we start to see glimpses of the town again. We see Joyce and Mr. Madsen hugging, which is like, oh, right, they're married. Right, somehow. We see Principal Wells talking to Mr. Jefferson. We see Victoria quietly crying in her dorm room and then stop the second Nathan Prescott enters. We see Frank sitting along the water, petting his dog as they watch the sun disappear behind the moon. I love Frank so far because, like, We've seen him three times. Two of them, very peaceful. Yeah, just kind of chilling, smoking, enjoying nature. Yeah. And then once holding a knife to a child. Yeah, entirely. (laughs) (laughs) Frank's funny. Anyway, fun thing, Frank's Frank's driving an RV, right? And the license plate of the RV says Breaking Bad. Oh, God. So he's just like, yeah, I know it. He's like, I get the whole deal. Yeah. (laughs) We see Chloe smoking at the lighthouse as she looks down at the town And then she texts Max and she's like, we got to get to investigating some shit. And then the last shot we see, we see those same red binders and books from episode one. We see the red book saying Rachel. And then it pans over to a workstation where another book is being put together with the same red frame. And it says Kate along the side. A picture of Kate lays next to the book. Oh, God damn. Now, this is whether or not she dies. Correct. Either way. Episode three, Chaos Theory. I love these endings of the episodes, though. Those little montages are really nice. Yeah, you just get a glimpse of like, oh, right. There's people that aren't Max that are like, I'm sorry, it's snowing in 80 degree weather. And then we had a surprise eclipse. What the fuck is happening? Do I need to recycle? Is this recycling? 
I mean, you so very rarely get to see the perspective of people outside the main characters and how, like, things are affecting them. That's true. You really don't get to see anything else than the protagonist of whatever you're doing. Especially in a video game, you know, of all things. Because, like, that's the thing they keep talking about on the Last of Us TV series. Like, you know, in the game, you are Joel, so everything has to be from his perspective. Or sometimes Ellie. Mm-hmm. But they can go outside of Joel and Ellie for the TV series and show what other people are doing, how the world's affecting them, and it's making it like a lot fuller. And this game was doing that as a game. Yeah, definitely. That does make it special, huh? I love that. Max is half asleep in her dorm room and gets a text from Chloe saying to meet her in front of campus. It's pretty late right now, and Kate's bunny is in Max's room. You're either taking care of him while she recovers in a hospital... Or he's yours now that she's dead. One way or the other. Yeah. <laughs> you Ma- hardly knew this girl. I mean, like, she was your sad friend. Right. Whatever. You were the only one nice to her. Yeah. <laughs> Max creeps her way through the dark hallways of the dorm, and you can say hi to some of her floor mates if you want to. You don't have to. Whatever. Max sneaks through campus to find Chloe, and she also runs into Principal Wells, who is fucking house, just, like, on campus, drunk as shit. The principal is? Yeah. Okay. He may or may not have seen one of his students die today, so, like, whatever. That's fair. That did happen under his watch. Like, hours ago. And, like, she was very publicly bullied. Yeah. To the point that there's a website. Yeah. And he definitely knew it was happening. Oh, fully. And then that happened. Yeah, I'd probably be, if I was not sober, hitting the bottle pretty hard. Yeah. Anyway, you find Chloe on campus and you're both like, so there's been snow, there was an eclipse. Shit is crazy. This is a hell mouth. Max is like, so Rachel is a part of this, right? Like, there's no way Rachel isn't involved in whatever weird shit is happening. Like, there's got to be a connector. that We have to find the truth. And Chloe's like, yeah. Chloe has this kind of fear that Rachel is dead or that something really bad happened to Rachel where she can't get Rachel back. But she's like, I'm trying not to think about it. I'm hopeful, and I hope that we'll find the truth. Anyway... Chloe stole the keys to Blackwell Academy from her step douche, so she's like, we need to start snooping and find out what's going on, because, like, there's something going on with the school, something about Rachel, and something about Kate, right? Yeah. They sneak into campus, and they roll up on Mr. Jefferson leaving the building with Victoria, and Victoria is trying to comfort Mr. Jefferson, and she's, like, lying about how close she is to Kate. She's like, Katie and I were so close, and... No one's called her Katie this entire fucking game, so what are you doing? Literally, the first thing we saw of her was her bullying Kate Yeah, by throwing paper at well, her. Well, that was her one blonde crony, but it was like under Victoria's rule to be like, yeah, bully the sad girl. Oh, got it. Victoria also immediately asks Mr. Jefferson how this will affect the Everyday Heroes contest. Ugh, this bitch. Just always has a bottom line. <sighs> She's the worst. Victoria also calls him Mark, and he's like, no, 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 it's Mr. Jefferson, you child. Good. She says she'd love to win the contest so they can spend some time together. He says, I'm going to pretend you didn't say that. She is the fucking worst. And Chloe and Max are hiding behind some signage, just watching this happen, being like, this dumb bitch. Anyway, they depart. Chloe's like, all right, shit's about to get real. Chloe uses her keys to get into the school, and they make their way to the admin office and Principal Wells' office. They don't have the key to Principal Wells' office, unfortunately. So Chloe's like, all right, I'm going to pick the lock with a stick and some paper clips. And 
this just means she continues to be useless while Max does truly all the heavy lifting. Does she manage to do it with a stick? No. Okay, I was going to say, that's pretty fucking impressive if she can pull it off with a stick. Yeah. So anyway, Max is like, I have an idea. I have access to the whole fucking school. So she texts her friend Warren, who again, got his ass beat for her. He's also a science whiz. And she's like, hey, if I had access to the science lab, could I, like, I don't know, build a bomb? And he's like, well, yeah, of course. Why are you asking? And she goes, don't ask me questions, but can you, like, text me instructions to making, like, a small bomb? And he does this without asking questions. Hmm. I mean, I would probably trust Max if she was asking about that. But also, that's a... That's a red flag. That's definitely going to get you on a list of some sort. You know, like that's some anarchist cookbook shit. Um, Yeah. That's bad. Anyway, Max goes into the science lab, collects a bunch of shit, builds a tiny bomb, blows up the door, which also sets off the fire alarm, goes in, closes the door, resets time so that she is inside the room before she blows up the door. Okay, and hopefully before she texted a person asking for instructions on how to build one. I'd like to think she did zoom back to (laughs) kind of erase that convo. Yeah, that's the smart thing to do. Yeah. So from the inside, Max unlocks the door and Chloe's like, ah, goddammit, you used your powers to beat me. And Max is like, yeah, you dumbass. You were just poking the lock with a fucking paperclip. And to be real, like of all the things she'd done to like prove her magic powers, this is probably the most proof that they've seen yet. Oh, she basically teleported in there to Chloe's knowledge. So Chloe comes in and she immediately sits in the principal's chair and puts her boots up on the desk and is like just fucking living the life in this admin office. Ridiculous. They find Nathan's folder, which is his what permanent record. That's what people call it. Which is not a real thing. Permanent records, yeah, they don't exist. Don't be afraid of a permanent record. No. There's all these disturbing ass notes and like drawings in his records, though. There's one that's just a big wall of text just written over and over again like a crazy person that says Rachel in the dark room. That's not good. There's a note saying Nathan has David, the step douche, looking into people for him. Which is, what the fuck? Nathan has David working for him. Yeah. And we know that David has a bunch of pictures of Kate. Yeah. Oh my god, this fuck... And like, literally the first thing we met of this fucking kid was he shot Chloe. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck? This kid isn't a good person. Let's just get that out there. It's ridiculous. They're like, holy shit. So he's all fucked up. Chloe isn't as concerned about this for some reason she's like i want to steal this chair this is a great fucking chair and max is like please don't steal a chair i can't (laughs) believe i have to say this out loud but please don't steal a chair they're going through the principal's desk too and then they find this big folder of money the money is marked handicap fund obviously chloe wants to steal this and give it to frank to pay off her drug debts you can talk her into leaving it or you can take it and then you both leave the office Yeah, I mean, I don't think that was going... Who keeps an envelope of cash marked handicap fund? That is a fucking bribe if I've ever seen one. (laughs) Yeah, handicap fund kind of sounds like bullshit, huh? Yeah, it sounds like total bullshit. It sounds like when you told the principal that Nathan Prescott had a fucking gun in the bathroom, he went and said something about it and he got paid off to keep quiet about it. How about we buy you a new ramp, buddy? Yeah. 
Oh, yeah. I didn't think about that. I was just like, don't do that. So you know what? Go ahead and take that money. <laughs> when Max meets Chloe outside the office, Chloe's like, hey, you want to go swimming? We have the keys to the pool. And Max says, we hella deserve it. Splish, splash. Max is using Chloe's phrases now. Cute. Yeah, it's... Oh, I didn't think it was... If They just don't use it right. <laughs> They can go in through the boys' locker room or the girls' locker room to get to the pool, and the pool is home to the Otters, the Blackwell Academy swimming team. Chloe gets down to her underoos and jumps in the pool and tells Max to join her. Max gets down to her underoos and jumps in. Max is afraid of Jaws, so the first thing Chloe does is sing the theme to her, and then they splash each other, which is just like, (sighs) Chloe's mean. She's just like, oh, you're afraid of something? That's funny to me. Right, I'm going to make sure that uh, you suffer for just a minute for my amusement. Just a moment. Chloe says she wishes Rachel was there. Chloe also manages to attribute Max's powers to herself since they kicked in when Max stopped Chloe from being shot. This fucking main character syndrome, bitch. Obviously, Max is the main character. Is she? Chloe's not the main character to the DLC. They do have like a nice BFF heart to heart aside from Chloe's ego. And then they go up to get dressed as they get ready to leave. Someone comes into the pool and they have to hide. It's probably because they turned the entire lights on and like, you know, people notice when a pool is on or off. Yeah, they weren't being fucking subtle. No, there's security guards patrolling campus saying patrol the whole perimeter. So they have to like hide inside of a locker and stuff. It's really dorky, though, because the guards are like, I have a flashlight and a stick, which shut up. Who are you scaring? Oh, no, he has a stick. Fuck me. Like, shut up. And they all work for step douche. So they all have to talk all military and shit. Yeah. They manage to sneak out and evade the guards. And after this, Chloe takes Max back to her house. The dorms are probably a little too hot to sneak back into right now with all the security. Max and Chloe fall asleep in Chloe's bed. And they wake up to a bright, fresh morning. Max wakes up and immediately takes a selfie of herself in bed. And Chloe wakes up and pops into the shot yelling, photo bomb. Max wanders around Chloe's room some more, digging through her personal shit. And she sees her pile of clothes that just like actually stink of chlorine. Chloe lets her borrow some clothes that Rachel had left at Chloe's before she disappeared. Chloe is like, hey, Max, you can let out your inner punk rock girl. And then... Chloe just dares Max to kiss her. Oh, that's that'll be so funny. Like, oh, my God. Wouldn't it be just so like crazy and random if we just totally kiss? I like double dare you to kiss me. Yeah. Punker. And you can or not. Whatever. However you want to play it. Max puts on Rachel's torn black jeans and red flannel. And then she looks at Chloe and she does the dumbest shit. She goes, shaka, brah. That is the least punk rock thing you could have possibly said. I don't know what the fuck happened there, but Chloe cringes, like physically cringes. Okay, good. And she's like, Max, just go downstairs. I'm going to wake and bake real quick. Yeah. (laughs) Again, not offering any. No, she's just like, you're such a dork. I have to do drugs right now. Can you leave? (laughs) Max goes downstairs for breakfast with Joyce and she's like, oh my God, it smells amazing in here. There's a bird trapped in the house and Joyce is like, hey, Max, can you get this fucking bird out of my house? I'm cooking. Max is like, I got you. And she gets the bird out through these like sliding doors into the backyard. And when she looks outside, there's like a bunch of dead birds just outside in the backyard just a shit gang of dead birds yeah like just 
dead on the ground. And Max is like, well, that's ominous as fuck. Okay. Have these always been here? Yeah. <laughs> like, is this me? Is this the storm? Like, we're getting eclipses and snow. Like, what's happening? It's starting to feel like the biblical plagues at this point. Yeah, there's some apocalyptic shit happening for sure. Joyce is like, man, Max, you're in Rachel's clothes. I I miss Rachel. I thought you were her for a second. Rachel was the sweetest girl. Mm. And you can talk about Rachel and Joyce is like, I don't know what happened, but, you know, I hope she made it to L.A. She really wanted to go to L.A. Like, it's one thing to get a new friend. It's another to try to make them into your old friend. That's kind of what I was saying before of just yeah. like trying to get back into this groove that you used to be in. Yeah, totally. And like. Minor spoilers for the prequel, but Chloe and Rachel did have some sexual chemistry. So, like, perhaps her kissing Max as she's like, put on her clothes, kiss me. It's 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 sad. It's this, like, stepping into a ghost situation. Yeah. Ugh. I've never done that. It's weird. Not kissing, just trying to be someone else. Right. Like, it's not a thing. Anyway, Joyce and Max sit down. They start eating. And Chloe comes down just immediately starting shit. She's like, ah! I'm loud and angry. <laughs> Chloe whispers to Max to go to dig around Step Douche's shit to like, you know, look for clues. And probably just to piss him off further. She just likes doing that. Yeah, and she fucking hates him. Chloe picks a fight with her mom to distract Joyce so Max has enough time to dig around Step Douche's shit. Looking through Step Douche's computer, Max finds a picture of Rachel Amber kissing Frank the dealer. Oh, shit. Max also finds a file on Kate, which kind of just follows her around, and a file on herself, which means that Step Douche has been stalking not only Kate, but also Max. This dude, it, I say this dude, this douche yeah. really needs to go down. He's fucking crazy. Like, that is the creepiest shit imaginable. They're teen girls, you fucking lunatic. Like, you don't do that. No. I mean, Max rejoins Chloe at the table, and Step Douche finally comes in. He's bitching about how some entitled students broke into the pool last night and he's been all hocked up and self-righteous about how he's going to bust them and make them pay for all the fucking the time he had to put in paperwork for, <laughs> which is like really funny because he's like these entitled pricks. And it's like, no, it's it's these two idiots. Literally the two sitting before you. And also like they're fucking kids. They're going to do shit. Yeah, get over it. Nothing was broken. Right. They didn't vandalize shit. They didn't fucking do crazy shit like uh, I in high school one time someone put it like gum in all the doors so they couldn't open school. You know, like that's actual vandalism. Right. They had to get a lock picker or a locksmith and shit. You know, but taking a splish splash, go fuck yourself. I had to look for kids that were having fun. Yeah. He also looks at Max and goes, "Are you wearing a Rachel Amber Halloween costume?" Oh my god! So she spent a lot of time in this house. Apparently, yeah. Joyce tells uh, Step Douche to leave Max alone and to stop threatening students. <laughs> Chloe starts getting into his face, too, and they all just start fighting. She's like, fuck you. And he's like, fuck you, soldier. Ah. You can step in or not or kind of like, you know, vibe your entry into this world. Not my place. Yeah, I would suggest not getting into other people's family shit. Right. Not your business. After the fight, you and Chloe have to leave because... You know, why would you hang out at the house after a family fight? That's right. crazy. Chloe and Max drive off and Max tells Chloe that she saw pictures of Frank and Rachel hooking up by the RV, which is like news to Chloe. Yeah, she does not handle that news well. 
Max suggests they go over to Frank's RV to search it for clues on Rachel because they were closer than anyone realized. So, like, he might know something. Frank is over at the Two Whales Diner and they try to break into his RV. Frank has a big dog, which we saw in, like, a previous moment. So Chloe's like, okay, I have to go find a snack for the dog. You get the key to the RV, which are two very different objectives. Right. (laughs) But she knows that Max can break into shit pretty easily with her powers. Yeah, that's true. But still, it's like, you are so useless, Chloe. But if she gets attacked by that dog before she gets to use her powers, everything's fucked. That's true. Max enters the diner and goes right up to Frank. And Frank looks at her and goes, you tried to shoot me and now you're dressing up like Rachel. What the fuck is happening? What do you want? Like, he does not take her seriously. I love everybody immediately calling her out for wearing Rachel's clothing. Oh, entirely. No one's letting her get away with this. It is fucking stressful. You have to talk to a couple people in the diner to get some information on Frank and say some trigger words to Frank to get him to take his keys out of his pocket. Um, You do this, you grab his keys, you rewind, you have the keys to the RV. Everything's great. So with the keys, you get outside to the RV and you hand the keys to Chloe. Chloe hands Max a huge dog bone that she found and is like, all right, we have to be ready to do this shit. When the door is unlocked, you can throw the bone either into the parking lot or across the street. If you throw it into the parking lot, the dog just like beelines out, has a blast. If you throw the bone across the street, the dog gets hit by a car and dies. Oh my god, I was just gonna say, don't say it gets hit by a car. You can fully accidentally kill the dog, too. Oh my god, that'd be terrible. Now, inside the RV, you have enough time to explore, so, like, don't worry about that. But if he did end up taking the gun, you can find the gun here and reclaim it, which is kind of nice. That's good. Also dangerous. Anyway, the whole RV is disgusting it's a single dude who lives in there with his dog and he's a drug dealer it's not gonna be cute right max calls it a made for tv hoarder (laughs) and she like literally wonders at points how someone could live like this it's uh, a pretty abysmal life i can tell you that probably yeah it's it's a bummer through some searching max does find a bunch of pictures and notes and letters between rachel and frank showing that they really did spend a lot of time together and partied a lot Chloe sees these and she's like, she takes it personally immediately. She is mad that Rachel and Frank were hooking up and she takes it very personally that she feels Rachel betrayed her. Betrayed her. I mean, like we said, they had some sexual chemistry, so I can see her being extremely jealous or if they were potentially dating that that's cheating. Yeah. Max is like, Chloe, no one betrayed you. And Chloe storms out of the RV saying, fuck everyone. Why does everyone betray me? She and Dutch Vanderlyn would get along really well. <laughs> she has no faith in anyone, though. <laughs> that's that's the trick to it. That's they, true. They are, they are playing the victim in betrayal a lot, but goddamn. Chloe also takes the keys to the RV and throws them onto the roof of the diner. She's like, fuck you. Nice. They tear out in Chloe's truck away from the diner. Because she's just like, fuck everything, I'm so mad. To the junkyard. (laughs) Max actually takes a moment and she's like, hey, you gotta stop blaming other people for your own shit, basically. And Chloe says, yeah, but if it's not someone else's fault, it's mine. So it's gotta be other people. It can't be my fault that my life is like this. And like, no, Chloe, that's exactly what it is. That's some, like, self-aware wolves kind of shit, you know what I mean? Where you're just like, you're 
you're so close to the fucking point. And you're just fully missing it. Yeah. Yeah. Chloe says she blames her dad for dying, which ruined her life, which is also an insane thing to say. Max is trying to be reasonable. She's trying to talk her friend down, but it's it's not helping. Chloe is so self-centered and has no capacity for reasonable thinking and just is like, everyone is doing shit to me purposefully to hurt me, and nothing I have done has ever done any wrong to anyone. That is just like the narcissist's playbook. Entirely. Anyway, your best friend pulls up to Blackwell Academy and she refuses to make eye contact with Max when she drops Max off. She's just like pissy and taking it out on Max, the only person who's been kind to her. It's it's so ridiculous. And like we all know that she's going to reach out to Max in like an hour as if nothing's fucking wrong. Yeah. And then be like, why are you being weird? Yeah. Ugh. This is giving me a little bad friend PTSD. I'm not going to lie. She's not a great friend. No, and I've had friends that are like this insane where they're like, no, 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 it's always me. I've never done anything wrong. Fuck you. And you're like, hold the fuck up. No, you I are can't do this. manipulative as fuck. Yeah. Anyway, Max goes back to her dorm room and looks at old pictures of her and Chloe from when they were kids. She's sad and she just misses her friend from before all this drama. She's just like, Jesus Christ. We are in a pickle. Why aren't we 13 anymore, for fuck's sake? Right? She looks at this picture of them as kids, and she hears echoes of their voices as kids. This scares her, because she's like, whoa, what the fuck? What's happening now? Okay, so she's like literally hearing the echoes. It's not just like one of those just like, oh, I'm having a nostalgia moment. No, 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 no. She hears their voices. As she picks up the photo and focuses on it, the photo starts to blur. She focuses hard on seeing the image again. As she does this, the lights flash white. Suddenly, she is a child again, and Chloe's dad is taking a photo of Max and Chloe as kids. She's in the Price living room, and Chloe and her dad are being silly in the kitchen. She looks around at the Price house and asks herself how far back in time she is. That she's 18 years old, but inside her 13-year-old self now. Chloe and William go to make pancakes together, while Max looks around the house. Looking around, she realizes this is the day that William Price dies. Oh, shit. That's some fucking darkness. Is she going to try to stop that from happening? She is a 13-year-old child, and this whole story literally just turned into the movie butterfly effect, because like that's how that works in that movie. <laughs> He's looking at pictures, and that sends him back in time and shit. But, like, damn, that is a fucking wild day to get sent back to that. The phone rings, and William answers. It's Joyce asking for a ride from William. He says, yeah, of course, I'll be there soon to pick you up. He starts to wander around looking for his keys. Max is like, oh my god, no, this is it. I can't let him go. I have to stop him from dying. She knows that in the world that she lived in, he found his keys, he went to go pick up Joyce, and he got T-boned and in a car accident that took his life. Max goes out and hides William's keys by dropping them down into the kitchen sink. When William can't find his keys, he's like, all right, fuck it. I'm taking the bus to go get Joyce. And he manages to avoid the car accident that takes his life. Max is like, hell yeah, the bus is great. It comes every 15 minutes. There's plenty of room and you'll save the environment. She like weirdly nerds out on the bus and she's jumping and she's like, this is a great idea to take the bus. William's like, calm down. Stop selling me on the bus. Everything's fine. Okay, bye, kiddo. He's like, this was my idea. Yeah. 
The scene fades, and we see pictures of Chloe and Joyce at William's funeral disappearing. Pictures of Joyce and Step Douche disappear. The future is completely altered. The montage ends on a photo of Chloe getting a red truck for her birthday, revealing a key and looking so happy. Max comes back to reality kind of shaken, and she is on campus sitting next to Victoria. Victoria is like, hello, Maxine. She looks at Victoria and realizes that in this timeline, they are best friends and everyone seems to love Max right now. And she's going by Maxine. Yeah, right? What a douche. Max is actually like dressed a little bit better in this scene. She's wearing like these fitted white pants, like a cute cardigan, a really tailored shirt where in the other scenes, she's in like jeans and a hoodie. Like she looks a little grubby, but right now she's giving she's giving preppy. She's giving tailored. She's giving expensive. One of us. One of oh, us. Oh, yeah. Full yuppie. Yep. She looks up and she sees Warren and some other girl holding hands. And she's like, no, no, no. He's in love with me. What the fuck? And then she goes, wait, where's Chloe? What happened? What changed? The school bus pulls up on campus. And as Max runs up to the bus, she sees David is driving it. That's the step douche? Oh, yeah. Max is like, uh, that's weird. She gets on the bus going into town because she's like, what the fuck? I have to find Chloe. I have to figure out what world I just created. Right. Max looks out the window and she sees three beached whales on the sand just like out there. Just fucking whole ass whales. Not something you're supposed to see. No, this is dangerous. It's bad to see one, but three? Yeah, that's a lot. That's a pattern. She gets off the bus and runs a few blocks over to Chloe's house because this reality is fucking crazy. Chloe's house is pristine and gorgeous looking. Nothing's run down. Everything's well taken care of. She looks up at Chloe's bedroom and she slowly walks up to the door. She knocks and William answers saying, Max, so good to see you. She's like, completely dumbstruck that she's seeing Chloe's dad right now alive in a world he's never been alive in before. Right. William says, Chloe's been dying to see Max. And as Max looks down the hall, she puts her hands to her face in complete shock and horror. Chloe, brown hair, is in a full wheelchair, paralyzed from the neck down, and rolls up to greet Max at the front door. That is fucked like that is one of those like be careful what you wish for kind of moments episode four dark room god damn no montage on this one huh no they said fuck you you fucked with time oh shit and time is gonna fuck you back oh yeah well gonna fuck chloe back oh my god poor fucking chloe you saved her life and her father's life but to what extent but did you oh fuck Episode four starts with a wheelchair-bound Chloe rolling down a beach path with Max at her side. The sun is setting and a whole beach is just like this gorgeous orange tone. The row of large beached whales are still up on the shore for some fucking reason. And, you know, people are kind of poking around at them, but they're kind of over it. Chloe says it's weird hanging out again, but it was nice that Max sent letters. Chloe said the worst thing Max can do is treat her like a baby, by the way. They stop to look at the sunset and the beached whales. Chloe says she knows how they feel. Oh. Chloe says she doesn't want anyone feeling bad for her, that her dad still feels bad for buying her that car. Max asks about the accident, and Chloe says she got cut off by some asshole on the road, and she felt her back snap, and that was the last time she ever felt her body. Oh. 
Chloe says she's glad Max showed up and just disappear like that girl from Blackwell. Max asks Chloe if she knew Rachel Amber, and Chloe says she just saw the story in the paper. Oh, fuck. So she never even met Rachel Amber. No. Max apologizes for not seeing Chloe more, and Chloe says, it's fine. Max says it's hella cold, and Chloe says, oh, God, I hate the word hella. (laughs) We all do. Don't worry, Chloe. Fuck you. And they decide to go back home. Back at Chloe's house, they talk a bit, and Chloe is just soft-spoken and sad. Max feels bad that her actions kept William alive, but somehow paralyzed Chloe. So she's in this, this world of guilt that she can't express properly. Chloe's medical bills apparently cost around a million dollars a year to just to keep her alive. So a million. The family's in crazy debt and they're just barely scraping by. Jesus. They watch Blade Runner together and fall asleep. Terrible choice. <laughs> Max wakes up passed out on Chloe's bed as Chloe looks around. Chloe says it was so great seeing Max that it made her feel like a little kid again. Mm. Chloe then starts getting pain and sends Max off to get her morphine. Max goes off to get them and talks to William for a bit, and she gets a ton of texts from Victoria trying to see if Max is mad at her. (laughs) Such fun, dumb teen shit of Victoria, like, kissing Max's ass. It's good to see, like, her kissing ass for once. Oh, yeah. Max takes a detour and goes up to Chloe's old room upstairs. It's completely empty except for some random boxes of Chloe's old stuff. She also finds Joyce and asks her about a bus driver named David Madsen. Joyce is like, oh, yeah, he comes into the diner sometimes. He's cute, but he's quiet. Which is (laughs) so delightful to be like, do you fall in love all the time or is it just this timeline? She's like, he's cute. So, okay, Right. They talk a bit and Joyce alludes to Chloe's system starting to fail her. Chloe doesn't have a lot of time left. Oh. Max finds Chloe's morphine and plugs it into her tubes. Chloe asks to see one of the photo albums so they can look at old kid photos together. They flip through some old photos and they actually land on the same photo that originally sent Max back in time to save William. Yep, time to let him get those keys, huh? Chloe interrupts saying her respiratory system is failing and she was so happy to see Max again and that this will be her last memory. Chloe asks Max to crank up the IV and let the morphine drip into her to let her go peacefully. Oh my god. You can accept and crank up her IV and let her go peacefully, or refuse and be like, Chloe, what the fuck? You can't ask me to do that. Right. No matter what you choose, Max does pick up the photo from the day William died, and she focuses on it hard enough to travel back. As she does, she just says, I'm sorry, William. They're back in the kitchen five years ago, and the phone rings. William answers and agrees to go pick up Joyce. Max holds the photo that was just taken in her hands, and she drops it in the fireplace. Max watches William step through the doorway and stands in the hallway, stopping herself from crying. She apologizes to Chloe and says she tried, and she's so sorry. She tells Chloe to be strong and that she'll always have her back. The scene fades and the photos we saw earlier change back to the photos of William's funeral and the family photos were swapped with Joyce and David's wedding. We see Chloe age again and dye her hair and we see her partying with Rachel Amber. Max, unfortunately, but fortunately, has reset the timeline. And I love the fact that she burns the picture to make sure she can't go back. Yeah, she's like, I fucked that up. I can't do this again. (laughs) 
we gotta turn this shit around. And it's an important lesson for her to learn, like, okay, I can reverse things in the last 10 seconds. Yeah, we can do a short time. Like in Galaxy Quest, you know, they yeah. can only go back, what, 13 seconds? Something like that, yeah, I think it was 13 seconds. An appropriate amount of time. So that way you don't affect, like, the future, necessarily. You're just affecting immediately right now. Totally. But yeah, going back and changing something that drastic, you see the literal butterfly effect and the ripples go out and just, it causes all new problems. Totally. It's ridiculous. Anyway, Max comes back to reality in the appropriate, we'll call it, timeline, and she's back in Chloe's bedroom. She looks at Chloe and she runs over to hug her. Chloe... I get a line in my run through where Chloe goes, you get one kiss and now you're all over me. <laughs> she also calls this hug a morning grope and it's like, calm the fuck down. Morning grope? What the fuck is that? Max is just like, I'm, I spaced out. I'm sorry. And she looks around and Chloe has gone full Pepe Silva and has posted clues on her wall about what's going on in Arcadia Bay. Looking at the board, we've got photos of Frank and Rachel, the story about Kate, all kinds of crazy shit. Max says they need to decipher Frank's logbook, which they got out of the RV. And the logbook has, like, nicknames for people and what they bought and when, you know, just his ledger of drug dealing. Right, his receipt book. Yeah. They were like, we need to get Nathan's phone to find out where he was with Kate and Rachel during the vortex parties. And they need to figure out what the fuck the dark room is. Right. To get started, Max goes downstairs to snoop through David's shit. There is a timeline where David gets kicked out of the house by Joyce and Max will see him leaving and he's like, thanks for breaking up my family. Like so fucking dramatic and also very Chloe to blame someone else for the problems they brought onto themselves. Yeah, I mean, he's in the right home to be this kind of a person. Yeah. Anyway, Max goes throoping through all his weird spy shit in the garage and he does find a note from the Prescott family saying thank you to David for helping Nathan with something, which is so creepy. I mean, we know Nathan's not a good person. No, he's a terrible child. There's also another gun missing, and it's probably David taking a gun on the road with himself, which is also not fun. And also, let's just not assume anything about missing guns. Yeah, that's fair. That, that's bad. She finds a locker with this giant padlock on it, and... There's some photos and crazy-ass coordinates that actually follow the students of Blackwell, including Max. So, like, this dude's been tracking everyone, which is terrifying. There's pictures of, like, the cars they're associated with, all this shit. Max brings these together and goes back upstairs to meet Chloe, and they put them up on their crazy-ass fucking spy board. <laughs> their whiteboard. Yeah. They decide the next step is to go break into Nathan's room and see what he's hiding. If Kate is alive, you can stop to check in on her really quick after her incident at the hospital. Chloe says hospitals freak her out, and she also takes a beat to be like, hey, I was a dick about being possessive about you, and I was weird when Kate called you. I didn't know what was going on with her. I was just being possessive, which is like good awareness, but it's a little too late, and you're too old to be doing this shit. Fuck you. I mean, something that uh, Max did with resetting this timeline must have kicked a little bit of a memory into her head and been like, you know what? Max is nicer to me than I treat her. Yeah, that's true. She's like, before Max did disappear, she told me to be strong and know that I Max has her my back. Okay. Now, Tom never got this scene. 
No, definitely didn't. But Max goes in to say hi to Kate, and Kate jumps up and she's like, hi, I'm so sorry. Max is like, babe, you didn't do anything wrong. You have nothing to apologize for. Are you okay? Like, I'm glad to see you. Kate is super grateful for talking her off the roof, and she's like, I just thank you for trying so hard to save me. I really appreciate it. Kate says, thank you for letting me know I'm not alone. You know, Max just has this way of connecting with people one-on-one. She's very sweet. Kate's been drawing and working on a new children's book about bullying. She says everyone from Blackwell were sending notes and flowers and shit. Even Victoria sent her something, which is sweet. Victoria's like the person that started this, so like, I was gonna say, this is almost Victoria's fault, but sure. She's... You know, it's it's one of those things where you have to also do it just so that way you if everybody looks and like, well, who didn't send one? Oh, that's probably who's the dick. <laughs> it's alibi flowers. Oh, no. Yeah. After this scene back at campus, Chloe and Max run into Mr. Jefferson, who's like, Chloe, why is someone as cool as you not going to Blackwell? Which is so creepy. How does he know Chloe? They introduce each other and they're like, oh, hey, what's up? Chloe says she was too cool for Blackwell and that there's actually a file in the admin office all about it. (laughs) (laughs) She's like, tried it. Yeah. Mr. Jefferson yells at Max again for not entering the Everyday Heroes contest. And Max is like, hey, it's been a hard fucking week. Mr. Jefferson says he'll be at the party tonight to announce the winner of the contest and that he better see her there. Which, like, core concept, a teacher should never be like, I hope I see you at the party tonight, student. Yeah, especially, like, this is the Vortex Club, which is essentially, like, a frat within this school. Yeah. That is, like, not gender-specific, it sounds like. Yeah, entirely. And so it's, like, the teacher should not be involved in the frat house. Yes. I mean, in general, the teacher shouldn't be involved in the extracurricular activities other than, like, sports. Yeah, or, like, if there's a photography club, maybe. But, like, outside of academic advisement or adjacent areas... Shut the fuck up. Yeah. I mean, this isn't a school dance that he's chaperoning. No. And like plot twist, this is a pool party. Oh, at the pool that they got chased out of? Yeah. Okay. So like, don't go to a pool party with teens, you fucking creep. And with your camera, which is definitely going to be there. Ah. Max says she'll be there and Chloe's like, I'll be there too. I'm Max's date and you better save me a dance. And Mr. Jefferson's like, okay. And as he leaves, Chloe's like, yo, he was hot. I like the idea of Chloe actually creeping him out more than he creeped her. Oh, right. Just like, who the fuck is this bitch? (laughs) Only Chloe. Right. Chloe and Max split up to explore campus and Max looks for Nathan. You can talk to students and there's one bitch there who you can talk to who's like crazy petty that Warren has a crush on you and not her. She's like genuinely just mean and Max is just trying to be polite and Max is like, Hey, it's so cool that you have a drone. And she goes, well, you can't fly it. Fuck you for letting Warren have a crush on you. I remember this girl. Yeah, she really is just so petty. It's so dumb. And like, I can't imagine being mad at someone for being attractive to other people. I don't get that. I don't know. Anyway, Nathan is not on campus at the moment. So Chloe and Max decide to go full ninja to get into Nathan's dorm room. The boys dorm room is like, reasonably disgusting there's graffiti everywhere there's just like loose toilet paper trash yeah that sounds about right ew in front of nathan's room there's a little sign that says the prescott's run this town like it's so fucking cheesy and they probably do 
Max takes a fire extinguisher to break the lock and they go in and see all sorts of creepy shit just like immediately. Nathan has a projector on his ceiling that's just playing black and white footage of a field on a wall. Like, what the fuck is that? He's got black and white posters of girls tied up on his walls and black and white photos of dead birds around his room. Ooh, dead birds. That's not a good sign. No. Especially when you found a whole shitload of them in the backyard of uh, Chloe's house. Yeah, that was inspo for him. This is so fucking creepy. Right. After looking into his email, Max finds an email to Victoria saying Nathan asked his dad to tell the cops not to bust up the party tonight so they can go off in peace. Which, like, shut the fuck up. I hate privileged kids so much. So bad. Max also finds one of her selfies up on his wall that he, like, took, which is what the fuck is happening. I really want her to be more mad about this, but she's just not. She doesn't have anger in her, which infuriates me. And, like, I don't even think she's sufficiently scared. Yeah, she's like, oh, what a creep. And you're like, no, what a creep. Yeah. She finds a photo of Chloe from the night Nathan drugged her, curled up on a ball on his floor, like, freaking out. You can tell she's, like, on drugs. She's, like, kind of tweaky looking. Max is, like, way more mad about finding the picture of Chloe. Like, it is bad, but... Be mad about all the things, not just the one thing about Chloe. Right. On the ground, Max also finds scratch marks leading up to the couch. She moves the couch and finds a phone behind the couch, which, like, who keeps a burner phone, like, behind a couch? That's insane. Right. With that phone, Max goes back to Chloe, and she's like, hey, I found the phone. It's in a little plastic bag, and they're like, cool, this is perfect. As they're like, all right, we got the fucking phone, let's do this. Nathan walks back into the dorms and is like, what are you doing? He calls Max a nosy bitch and a hoe. Warren comes back in and headbutts fucking Nathan Prescott, knocking him to the ground. Take that, you dick. Headbutts. That's such a like primal way to attack somebody too. like, I'm going to hit your face with my face. It's so aggro. Oh, as this happens, Nathan whips his gun around and Warren starts Beating the shit out of Nathan. Good. You can let Warren kick his ass or you can stop him, but like, let him kick his ass. Yeah, he should entirely just beat him to within an inch of his life. Like, this kid just pulled a gun on you. Entirely. For the second time, if you're Chloe. Right. Nathan picks up his gun and stumbles back to his dorm, screaming about his daddy. Warren, Chloe, and Max leave the dorms together. On campus, the girls thank Warren for headbutting Nathan because it was awesome. Warren says he's got to stick with them to keep them safe and is like, I'll be your bodyguard. And Chloe's like, ha no, <laughs> don't do that. We're fine. She can see through this guy's bullshit the way Max can't. Yeah. Max is like, I'll call you later. And he walks away. Chloe and Max's next mission is to go find Frank. They drive out towards the beach where he's been staying. There are a ton of beached whales in this timeline as well. Oh, no, now that's just a common occurrence. It's just whatever's happening right now. (laughs) Chloe takes her gun and they roll out towards Frank's RV. Peeking into the RV, they can't really see anything because all the windows are covered and dirty. It's it's so gross. Knocking on the door brings Frank out. If the dog is alive, you can hear him barking from inside the RV. That dog better be alive. That's the only thing you care about is keeping the dog alive. Yeah, definitely. Frank is not happy to see Chloe, and they say they're not here to get high, so he's like, okay, whatever, why are you here? He is very aggressive, which is understandable. 
There is a very delicate way to handle this conversation where no one gets hurt. Okay. So basically, if you don't do this right, Chloe can end up shooting Frank and the dog if the dog is still alive. And the dog? Yeah, you can really fuck this up. Oh, I don't want anybody to fuck this up. If you kill Frank, you have to go through his body and his shit to find the code on him to break open his code book and, like, figure out who the code names were to people that he was selling drugs to. The key. Yeah, exactly, the key. If you sweet talk him enough, he will just give you the code breaking sheet thing. But, like, just holy shit, this can go so wrong so many ways. Yeah, that can escalate to a point that it absolutely shouldn't. Yeah, like... Like most things, you can schmooze your way into it with no violence, but it's pretty easy to end up in a violent line. If Chloe kills Frank, she does have a tiny mental breakdown and is like, oh no, I killed someone. And then you kind of move on with your life. You can rewind and undo it if you kill Frank, but like, live your consequences, man. Just learn how to schmooze, okay? Right. There's also a way to do this where you stab Frank and get the code so he lives, but he gets stabbed, which is kind of nice for not killing people, but it's still a violent route. Uh, it, there's there's a lot of ways this can go. Very few are good for Frank. <laughs> Back at Chloe's room, Chloe and Max are like, okay, cool. We got all the info we need. Let's fucking Sherlock this shit. Max goes back to the Pepe Silva board to connect all the photos with fucking yarn and shit and the info they gathered. There's some notes about Rachel and Frank hooking up and breaking up and being seen as a drug mule on campus and stuff. Like, David is like, Rachel is fucking moving weight or some shit. There's something bad about this girl. Based on Frank's drug notebook and David's coordinates of students, they can track where Nathan and Frank met up for drug deals, which is actually kind of interesting. Okay. Max also goes through Nathan's burner phone and sees him texting Frank and picking up drugs for the party. So she has like times and dates of when he's done pickups and shit, which is really helpful. Nathan goes through a lot of drugs very quickly and is a dick. And Frank really, really hates Nathan. (laughs) But like occasionally will be like, I'll do the drop, but you're paying double. And Nathan's like, that's fine. Be here right now. Fuck you. Yeah, he's like, I've got the money. I don't care. It's not even mine. It's my parents. Yeah, exactly. Man, these drug dealers really take too many notes. <laughs> too much of a paper trail, guys. You guys really need to uh, reduce the amount of paper, not just for the environment, just for the sake of like, yeah, and somebody finds this shit, you're fucked. Well, parts of it are through text. Yeah. So over the phone. So much, so much safer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. There shouldn't be a paper trail. I, I get you. It's ridiculous. Anyway, looking at the dates and places on the board and following Nathan's texts and David's weird coordinate tracking of all the students and cars, Max figures out that Nathan went out to some barn after the Vortex party out in the boondocks, after the most recent one where Kate was abducted and moved around or whatever. Got it. This barn is super decrepit, and Chloe looks it up online to see it's owned by one of the Prescotts. So, Imagine that. So it all lines up. Max calls it a haunted barn, which I kind of like. Max asks if they should call the cops, and Chloe's like, you know the Prescotts own the cops. Dumbass. We're not doing that. We're going alone. They drive out to the haunted barn and see fresh tire tracks coming out of the barn. So like someone was just there, but it looks like they just left. The doors are locked, though, so it's time for some sneaky sneaks. 
Max finds a way in, and they start scoping out the area for clues. Chloe finds a box of old family mementos, like photos and newspaper clippings about the Prescotts, and she goes through this for a little bit. Max actually, like, doesn't fuck with the fucking clippings of newspaper shit and just goes through the actual barn looking for things. Chloe and Max solve an environmental puzzle in the barn to figure out what's going on, and they actually open up a hatch, like, under the barn that opens up a door to a dark, like, concrete staircase. Do we have to turn on a generator to get the lights turned on? Magically, no. Oh, thank God. This is the one game that has no generator. (laughs) They, of course, go down the stairs, and Max is immediately like, hey, this is fucking weird. Chloe goes, yeah, who builds shit like this? Like, this is insane. We're in the middle of fucking nowhere. Creeps. Going down, it's an entirely concrete hallway with, like, a bunker. There's, like, you know, fucking canned food and all this crazy shit. There's a digicode on the door to open the bunker door. They get through. Chloe steps in first. It's for sure a bunker for the apocalypse. Like, there's food and a heating tank and other things like that. But as they kind of turn the corner into the main room of it, there is a tripod set up next to a white backdrop. So this went from, like, a prepper basement into uh, the guy from Silence of the Lambs, Buffalo Bill, real fast. I mean, yeah. It turns into a fucking creep thing, just zero to 60. Nathan's jacket is on a couch that's in the middle of the room, and there's a few newspapers on the coffee table, and it's copies that are covering what happened with Rachel and with Kate. Chloe looks in a bookshelf of books and other camera equipment and is like, what the fuck? Max opens up a storage locker, and as she looks, she sees a line of red photo albums with different girls' names all in a row. Oh, shit. She at first sees a binder marked Victoria, but that one's empty. And then she does see one named Kate. And after opening that one, it is a bunch of photos of Kate drugged, wide-eyed, and she is tied up. She's clearly in front of that white backdrop, just like a few feet away, and she is, looks like she's completely out of her mind. Oh, shit. Because of this and the empty one named Victoria, they're like, Victoria's got to be next. Chloe looks and she's like, oh, shit. She sees the red book marked Rachel. She grabs it and opens it. And there are countless photos of Rachel splayed out in the studio and her body is completely lifeless. Oh, fuck. Going through, there's a photo of her body on the ground outside stayed with Nathan. And Chloe is like, I know where this is. This is at the fucking junkyard. Oh, that's like her place. Yeah. Chloe's like, he took her here. If she was here before in some of these pictures and then the next pictures of them at the junkyard, he took her there. Like, that's that's what happened. And she runs off and she's like, that's where I'm fucking going. This is what happened to Rachel. She's got to be there. Her body is there. Max can keep looking through this shit and find all of Kate's posed photos where she's just looking at Kate drugged out of her mind. Max can find letters from Nathan's father telling him to get his shit together. Max can find the roll of duct tape that's been used to tie up all these girls. Now, when you say the note saying get your shit together, is it a general dad to son or is this I know you are torturing and killing girls and you need to stop? He doesn't know the extent of it. He knows his kids into weird shit. He's saying things like do not call me. Your brain is fucked up. 
get your shit together. Like, I am not interested in whatever weird, dumb shit you've gotten yourself into. You're bringing shame to the family. Like, that's the vibe that his dad's sending out. Okay. So Max and Chloe leave. They get in the car. They tear us out to the junkyard. That is the last place they know Rachel's body was. They pull up the one shot and Chloe runs over to the place in the photo that she recognized. She's like, this is exactly the last place we saw Rachel's body in that photo. She starts digging with her bare hands. She starts scraping at the dirt. Max comes in and she starts helping scraping with her bare hands. And as they dig, Max sees something and they smell something so bad. Max has to step away. Chloe realizes she just found and dug up the body of Rachel Amber, her best friend. Oh, that is like the saddest humanly possible thing that could happen. Oh, my God. This like it still gives me chills just to think about like that whole scene. It's fucking horrifying. And it's just so fucked up because she's digging there because she hopes she is either going to find or not find like she hopes she's not going to find her. Yeah, she's like it can't be true. It can't be true. If it's true, I'm I'm going to lose my mind and then it becomes true and she loses her mind. But she has to know. Yeah. Oh, it's fucked. Oh my god. And the it's the dead body of a teenage girl. Oh my god. So Chloe sees that, smells it. She screams. She scoots away and she is just convulsing, sobbing. She is screaming, no, no, no. She can't be dead. Who did this? Who does this? She is crying so hard. She can't breathe. And all Max can do is hold Chloe. And Chloe just sits there, scream crying, realizing she has to face the fact that Rachel is dead, buried in a shallow grave just underneath her feet. I mean, this is why Ashley Birch got all the praise for this fucking game, though. That's true. This scene is the most heartbreaking, moving thing in this entire fucking game. When I think of this game, it's her reaction to Rachel being dead that I think of. Yeah. Like, that is a moment that stands out for me. It's just beautiful acting. It's beautiful acting. It's also framed incredibly well. Yeah. Ugh, it's fucking heartbreaking. This scene fades out and we move forward to a scene where Chloe and Max are back at Blackwell that same night as the Vortex party starts raging on. Chloe is muttering and saying, like, fuck the police. Rachel wanted us to find her and she wanted us to get her justice and get her revenge. She's like, Rachel called to us. Rachel put us on this path. Rachel is going to. We are going to liberate Rachel's fucking soul for this one. This is fucking crazy. She's like, I know magic exists. My best friend is magic. My other best friend had to be magic, too. She definitely fucking called us. Absolutely. And, you know, there are fan theories that Rachel's passing is what gave Max powers. And without alluding to the prequel too much, there are some things about Rachel that seem a little mystical. It's not as direct as what's happening with Max. No, I was literally going to say the exact same thing. Whatever was going on with Rachel is very different from what's going on with Max. And I think hers is way more subtle. Yes, but there are allusions that people have made to Max and Rachel and their power and their connection and perhaps their connection to Chloe, but really between the two of them, like Chloe's more just a coincidence. But there is something about Rachel that spiritually moved to Max in a lot of theories. I don't buy it, to be real. Like, I don't see any reason for it just because they never interacted with each other. I mean, I'm sure Rachel had heard about Max. Yeah. 
but I don't think that she would have thought of Max as anybody that would have come to help. Totally. In any way, shape, or form. I don't think the two are connected at all. That's fair. I mean, it's a theory. That's fine. Bad theory. <laughs> Bad theory. Bad. Bad Matt Pat. Anyway, they're on campus, and like I mentioned, this party is called The End of the World, which is very aptly named. Yeah, I feel like a lot of social groups like fraternities and stuff like default to that party theme a lot. Yeah, doesn't it happen in Rules of Attraction? Like, Yeah, that happens in Rules of Attraction. Uh, that's I have a bit of a nitpick there because in the book, End of the World was a location. Oh. And so there was just a party at End of the World, which was a spot. Oh. <laughs> and in the movie, they change it to an End of the World party. Oh, that's dumb. Yeah. Lame. Anyway, Chloe picks up her gun and she's like, I'm ready to go to the fucking party. Let's do this shit. Let's liberate my dead friend. As they leave the car, they see other Blackwell students looking straight up and they look up and basically there's two moons in the sky. Why like, is nobody thinking this is weird enough yet? They're all drunk. But I mean... Yeah, the kids are. Who gives a shit? The adults. There are real adults in this world. We've met them. Yeah, they don't give a shit. They're all owned by the Prescotts, so. Yeah. <laughs> also, I'm sure this is also visible outside of Arcadia Bay. That's what I was going to say. Like, this doesn't <laughs> seem to be, like, just, like, specific. It's the moon, for fuck's sake. Like, that's it's not. It's the goddamn moon. <laughs> Unless it was, like, some weird swamp gases coming up off the water and causing a reflection of. No. No, this is some weird shit going on. There's dead whales. Yeah, and, like. We live in Vegas. When it snows here, it's national news. Like, your sister called from the Midwest to be like, holy shit, it's snowing. If you heard it was snowing during 80-degree weather in Oregon, it would show up on the news. Yeah, it absolutely would. It's insane. Anyway, they're walking up. They're like, wow, that's crazy that there's two moons. Warren is on campus, and he's he's sloshed. He's a little sloppy drunk, and he's like, Chloe, Max, I'm so glad you guys are here. Chloe's like, no bullshit. Where is Nathan? Warren's like, I don't know. I mean, I'm sorry. Warren's being one. I mean, yeah, he just got in a fight, so I'm sure the alcohol's helping. Yeah. But you are at a party with the person that you beat up who you know has a gun. <laughs> you better know where that motherfucker is at every moment of that party. <laughs> you'd think. You'd, you'd think these kids are stupid. That's true. Warren is like, I've only had half a beer. And everyone's like, no, you didn't. You're so wasted. And like, honestly, actually, he headbutted Nathan. So he probably has a fucking concussion. Yeah, that's more likely the thing. I was going to say, I don't think this is the same as like when Kate was like, I had a sip of wine. No. <laughs> Warren is like, Max, we have to take a selfie because I'm like feeling the end of the world theme. And Max is like, sure, whatever. I have shit to do. But let's do this. So I seem like a normal person. And not like someone with powers and an agenda. Right. So they take a quick selfie and then Max and Chloe get into the party. And it's like a huge production value for this entire event. There's like a check-in desk. And like I mentioned earlier, it's at the pool area. So it's like a big thing. It's a rich kid party. It's like that scene in the social network when they show like what all the social clubs are doing and shit. <laughs> it is a little crazy. So Chloe like does her own recon. Max splits off and she goes in, talk to the check-in girl who's like, hey, Nathan hasn't been in yet, but there are people looking for him. So I don't know. You can ask around. Inside the party behind like the stanchions, there's people inside the pool. There's a whole big DJ booth set up over the water, which is like not a good combination with drunk teens is to have a lot of electricity next to water. But also, that's who would come up with the idea to do a DJ booth over a fucking body of water. Yeah, that's true. 
Most of the attendees are in swimwear and they're just the best way to phrase it is that they're dancing like NPCs. Okay. So you guys all know exactly what I'm talking just about. Just bouncing up and down a little bit. Yeah, kind of bobbing and moving at the elbow. A lot, a lot of elbow action. Max goes around and she can ask people where Nathan is and like she can kind of mingle a little bit and be like, hey, but have you seen Nathan? I'm looking for Nathan. There's a VIP area of this party that has a whole ass bouncer and a guest list of people, which is insane. Like there's like a grown ass person standing there being like, you can't come in. And then next to him, there's a girl at a table with a fucking clipboard with like a list. Yeah. And freaking Max is just running around going, Nathan. It, entirely. Clipboard bitch is like, um, Victoria specifically told me I am not allowed to let you in, Max. So Max is like, cool. My nerdiness has gotten the best of me. I am like disallowed from this area entirely. You she, are basically a non-entity, Max. Yeah. I'm so sorry. Entirely. Max has to use her powers to sneak in around the bouncer and, like, get into the VIP area, which is just, like, a small sample size of popular douchebags mingling. It's the exact same, but a little bit lamer, frankly, in the VIP. There's just less people? Yeah, there's a couple of people making out on a couch, and they're, like, badly dancing, and Max can go in and talk to everyone, which feels cringy in parts. Why? Ma in what way? Max can go up and people will be like, oh, that girl's so hot. I'm so drunk. And Max is like, cool. Have you seen Nathan? And he's like, oh, do you think she'll make out with me? It's amazing how just by her being allowed in the VIP area, they immediately assume like, oh, her entire social status is different now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no, they don't want to make out with Max. They'll be like, hey, Max, I think I want to make out with that girl over there. And she's like, OK, I don't care. But they're not questioning why she's there nobody's there like oh, being like fair. fuck you max you don't belong here everybody's there there's just like oh max must be allowed in here now well it's funny you say that because as you go to victoria she's like fuck you you don't belong here well she probably wrote the fucking list she did write the list yeah. and she specifically told clipboard bitch not to let you in yeah you immediately start fighting with her like not fist fighting but caddy fighting you do have the option to blame the entire Kate situation, no matter which way it went, on Victoria. Like, that's how zero to 60 it can get in terms of this fight. Wow. Regardless of that shit, like, aside, Max tries to warn Victoria, being like, where's Nathan? You're in trouble. Because she knows that the next book says Victoria. So she's like, you are next for the goddamn dark room. Right. And she's kind of like, eh, I don't want to tell you. Victoria is also being such a bitch that you can choose midway to just give up and be like, you know what? Fuck you. Let Nathan have at it. I know a world where you worship me, bitch. Right? You called me Maxine. You can basically just be like, be careful of the dark room or, hey, you know what? Go fuck yourself. So that can go either way. Anyway, now that you've scouted the entire party, you're like, all right, Nathan is not here. And Victoria even is like, I haven't seen Nathan yet. And fuck you, Max. I hate you. Is it implied that Victoria and Nathan are dating at all? Or are they just the two popular kids and they recognize that about each other? They're totally just the two popular kids. Okay. There's nothing sexual really about their relationship. And it's not really implied either. They're just, they're probably just the two rich kids that grew up together doing rich kid shit. Like they probably did fucking horse sports and like went skiing together shit like that you know there's an agreement that you get the guys i get the girls yeah you know, their families are probably really close That's... being like the two rich families too you know yeah probably very accurate yeah like they probably summer together and do dumb shit like that so 
They might have more of a brother-sister dynamic. Oh, they summer together. The phrase of that is just like <laughs> such a rich kid phrase. Did you or, hate that? I, it hurt to hear. <laughs> Honestly, like they summer together. Like anytime that you 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 season with somebody, you know what I mean? Like, oh when my you season. God. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's awful. I love it. But that's the energy I get from them. It's nothing sexual or close. Yeah. After her rounds, Max meets back up with Chloe and she's like, look, Nathan is not here. And Chloe's like, yeah, I haven't seen him. As they're trying to leave campus and they're like, we'll figure out where he is. They get stopped by Mr. Jefferson, who's like, hey, Max, you made it. They were like, yeah, we were looking for Nathan. Mr. Jefferson says I, he saw him this afternoon, but Nathan was really upset. Then Mr. Jefferson's like, excuse me, I have to go announce the winner of the contest and that Max should have entered, by the way. But Ma- if you give me a picture right now, I'll just make sure you're the winner. Because you have a gift. Max kind of hangs out. She's like, we might as well see this shit. Mr. Jefferson takes the mic from the DJ and then ends up getting a shit ton of applause as he's like, hey, I'm here to announce the winner of the Everyday Heroes contest. Hey, the hot teacher's here. I mean, yeah, everybody's going to cheer. Literally that, though. While he's up there, there's students yelling, hey, you're so sexy. Oh, Mr. Jefferson, you're so hot, which is so gross. To like sexually harass a teacher. Yeah. In the middle of his speech. He declares the winner is Victoria. And Victoria comes out and she's like fake happy. She's doing that Taylor Swift shit where she's like grabbing her face like, oh my God. I can't believe this happened. I had no idea. And here's the funny thing. When she comes out, everyone starts booing her. Hell yeah. There are audible like, you suck, Victoria. Like that happens. The anonymity of the dark crowd really, like, lent themselves to being able to talk shit. Yeah, it's great. And they're all drunk, so they're like, fuck it, I'm invincible. It's the end of the world. There's two moons. (laughs) Chloe and Max leave the party, and they're like, all right, let's go towards the dorms, I guess. And as they're going, Chloe gets a text from Nathan saying he's at the junkyard getting rid of evidence. So she's like, oh, fuck. Fuck you, I'm in. They like fucking race over in the car over to the junkyard and Chloe and Max sneak up on the junkyard in the middle of the night looking for Nathan. They're like, all right, we're here. Let's be sneaky. We got to find him. And Chloe's like, I know this place better than anybody. Absolutely. This is where I hang, man. I I was born in a junkyard. (laughs) Probably. Chloe goes over to the burial site and she's like, okay, Rachel's body is still here. And she's like a little uncovered, just like they left her earlier. From behind. A needle goes into Max's neck and her vision blurs. Oh, fuck. Max tries to call out to Chloe, who turns around with her gun to shoot, but falls to the ground first, shot through the head. Max's vision is blurry, but as she's on the ground, watching as Chloe starts bleeding out, she looks up and sees Mr. Jefferson looking down on her. Jesus, fuck that goddamn Piece of shit. And this happens as fast as I just described it. End of this episode. Entirely. Going on to episode five. Oh my God. That is. Whoo. It's so much. It's so fucking terrifying. Oh, all right. Episode five. Polarized. The episode opens looking at a stark white backdrop. The same one that we saw in the Prescott Barn bunker. We see those big umbrella studio lights, the equipment and the lenses, the white backdrop, everything. We see a hand slightly move. We see Max duct taped to a chair, hazy and drugged, barely able to move. 
Max groans herself awake and looks immediately for Chloe, but it's just her alone in the dark room. There's a camera pointed at her on a tripod, but she's completely alone. She tries to scream for help and stops, and then she's able to get one leg kind of free. With one leg, she pulls over a tray of equipment near her and sees a photo of her on the ground, drugged, just like Kate and just like Rachel. Oh, Jesus, that is so fucked to have to see. She focuses on the photo of her tied up on the ground and pulls herself to go back in time. As she does this, she hears Mr. Jefferson's voice saying, oh, that's great. She's back, drugged on the ground, posing, quote unquote, for Mr. Jefferson. Mr. Jefferson talks to himself about how the drugged models always look so pure. He walks around screaming at her to stay still as he takes photos of Max, completely drugged out of her mind, laying on the floor of the dark room. Right. And like, I'm wondering how that works for her in like being back in time right now. Like, is she currently in the drugged state, but aware? She's a little coherent in here. Like, okay. Well, it's a memory she doesn't fully feel. It's a place she can be in. And I also, I mean, it would have been a perfect moment for, it's probably not foreshadowing way back at the beginning of the game, but <laughs> I didn't want to do it because it would have totally given him away as being the bad guy. But when he says, I could easily capture like a moment of terror from any one of you is just like knowing what comes <laughs> at the end is so fucking dark that he said that yeah but i can't ruin the surprise <laughs> no exactly that's why i didn't say probably not foreshadowing but still like... i did want to make a point of that's like one of the first things we hear him say though <laughs> oh that is fucked it's terrible he's screaming at her for fucking up his shots because you know she's just like twitching from being on drugs and shit he says out loud he knew she was special after seeing her first selfie and that he loves the purity of her own image Ugh. Oh, God, like, it's hard to just hear being said. He also says Rachel was always looking in the wrong places. He stands over her trying new angles as Max just kind of lays there completely drugged out of her mind. He says he wishes Nathan could see this, but Nathan is a dummy with an eye for shadows. He says Nathan's family will find out about his depravity along with all of Arcadia Bay. He says that the darkroom is under surveillance 24-7, so he reached out to Max from Nathan's phone and was able to send her down the path of Nathan. Max is able to say Chloe's name, just barely. And Mr. Jefferson says he's sorry he had to kill Chloe. But then he corrects himself. He's sorry Nathan had to kill Chloe. He says he's sorry Max is going to die. Max is writhing around and Mr. Jefferson elects to give her a new dose of drugs. Mr. Jefferson injects Max with more, and we wake back up as Max in the present time when she originally woke up. Like, how does he expect to get away with this? You know, I know that he's pinning it on Nathan. Yeah. But, like, serial killers serial kill. Yeah. And, you know, just because he's going to pin it on Nathan and it's going to, like, obviously he was also training Nathan to be something awful. Totally. Like, Nathan is not innocent in this, even if he is not the Jefferson of it all. Right. He's the apprentice. He is not the master here. Totally. He's the Igor of it all. Like, yeah. But he's still, there's a lot of guilty by association and guilty by aiding and abetting this kind of shit. But, like, he's going to do this again. Yeah, entirely. He's going to go to a new school. Yeah. And, like, 
somebody eventually would have pieced together, you know, a murder podcast would have definitely like <laughs> pieced together this teacher going from school to school who was also like a famous photographer and all of his students specifically keep dying. Yeah, the my favorite murder of this is going to be fucking insane. Right. <laughs> Max looks down and she, now she sees Victoria passed out and tied up at her feet. Oh, shit. Now she's got to save the chick she hates. Right. More so the chick that hates her. Right. Max whisper screams at Victoria to wake up. Victoria is disoriented and asks where they are and what's happening. Max is starting to get her shit together and asks Victoria if she remembers anything. Victoria says she remembers going to Mr. Jefferson for help at the party. And then she starts crying and saying she can't feel her hands. Victoria cries that she doesn't want to die, that she's only 18. Max talks to her and tells her to be strong and that they need to work together. Victoria's guilt takes over and she says she knew Kate wasn't lying, but she didn't believe her. And now she's drugged too. Always believe. Right. Believe women. Believe victims. Believe people when they say they've gone through terrible shit because terrible shit does exist. At the very least, give them the benefit of the doubt and research it. Yeah. Research it it. with them. Yeah, look into it just to see, you know, if it was a misinterpretation of something or if something very much did happen. You know, like, don't just blindly not believe. Fully. Victoria cries that she blackmailed Mr. Jefferson into winning the contest, which is kind of funny because that's what Max and Chloe overheard when they were like, what the fuck are you doing? After that, Max starts looking at the photos she can see on the tray near her to time travel back to earlier times. She focuses on time traveling back to another photo where she looks even more awake, but she's still strapped to the chair. Max comes to in a chair strapped with Mr. Jefferson looking on. He says Max is the winner of the contest, that he picks her. Max says, fuck you, <laughs> which is like the, be- like the most mouthy she is in this sequence. And it's so fucking good. And asks why he's doing this. Mr. Jefferson explains that he is obsessed with capturing the moment when innocence shifts to corruption, that he loves to see hope and optimism dissipate on film. Max calls him a psychopath. He's like, oh, okay. No one knows where you are right now, you dramatic ass. He brings up Chloe and calls her a faux punk slut, which is just what the fuck? And also slut, like, she has shown zero sign of being promiscuous. Yeah, the only person she's kissed is Max, and no one knows that except for Max. Like, Chloe is actually really good at keeping it in her pants. Yeah, she has not given off any kind of slut vibes once since we've known her. No! But she's a woman, and he is a horrible, horrible man, so of course he sees her and thinks, slut. Yeah. Max just gets more mad now, thinking about how Chloe just died in the junkyard over Rachel's body. Mr. Jefferson says, well, that's what happens when you fuck with guns. Or me. I mean, I want to fuck with this guy just right now, and I don't even care. He's like, the he worst. He's just so evil. He's so bad. This is truly one of the most evil creatures we've ever encountered. Absolutely. Like, there's so many dark storylines we've done on this show, but this guy is just... This is fucked. Oof. He he makes my blood boil. He then brings up Kate and talks about how she was such a good air of innocence for him, and it was great to break her down. 
I mean, the girl was crying all the time. What level of innocence? She was already broken. <laughs> she was always so sad. Yeah. <laughs> Max says, you won't get away with this. And Mr. Jefferson is like, you've been looking into Nathan and painting him as this lunatic the whole time anyway. Max says, Mr. Jefferson, you were using Nathan. He says, yeah. He took Nathan under his wing and that the Prescotts will have a big scandal once this comes out. He says he manipulated Nathan and became a, a father figure. He says it was nice for a while, but Nathan doesn't know what Mr. Jefferson's been doing. And Mr. Jefferson was able to get Nathan to buy drugs for him and pay for the dark room. So it's just his little stooge boy. Like he needed funding and he needed a slave. Yeah, entirely. And he's like, Nathan's a sad kid. With kind of a fucked up family dynamic, I can manipulate that. He's clearly got rage issues. I'm sure he experienced at some point and saw he's like, okay, this kid's fucked up. Oh, yeah. And he's lonely. Like, it's easy to see when a kid is lonely. That's true. I mean, again, he is very much Draco Malfoy in that sense of just being, like, raised wrong. Yeah, and like, I'm never going to be what my parents want me to be, and I don't know how to handle that. True, yeah. Max brings up Rachel Amber, and Mr. Jefferson says that Nathan accidentally overdosed Rachel, and that was a shame. Oh, fucking ass. It gets worse. He says Rachel was special, and they had a real connection. He says Rachel was in love with him, and now she's dead. No, she fucking wasn't. Yeah, it does imply that the way it's phrased and the way you can interpret it is that there's there's opportunity that Rachel and Mr. Jefferson were fucking. Yeah, probably to save her life. Ugh. It's just, I mean, this guy is so fucked. He's, he's absolutely the worst person. And, I mean, yeah, I guess if he was the hot teacher and Rachel Amber. I mean, granted, I know a bit more about Rachel Amber having played Before the Storm, and I don't want to go too much into it still. I don't think she would have. I personally agree. I don't think that they were fucking. I think he it's just his ego speaking here and saying, oh, she loved me. So it was so hard to let her go, you know? Yeah. Or just like he took advantage of her in an induced state and was like, oh, that must mean that it's consent. She loves me. Yeah. Yeah. It's just I don't want to talk too much about it because this is some of the darkest shit. It's really bad. He goes on to say that Nathan tried to emulate what Mr. Jefferson had been doing with the other girls with Rachel, but Nathan just fucked it up so bad it all turned to shit. Max asks where Nathan is now, and Mr. Jefferson says, dead and buried. After what he did to Rachel, Mr. Jefferson said he was sick of Nathan's shit, and he calls Nathan an amateur. He then tells Max that the police will never find Nathan's body. What's the fucking plan? I thought it was to pin it on Nathan, and now he's... Well, I guess he's just going to be like, oh, he disappeared. Yeah, right? Oh. Max says, you're going to die, motherfucker. And this is the baddest moment Max has. Like She turns into Ellie? Yeah, you're going to die, motherfucker. Like, full Ellie. Mr. Jefferson is kind of over-talking to her and wanders over to get her photos printed and started. He says that their session was a career high for him. Ugh. Max says that Mr. Jefferson has her diary. He says there's nothing more innocent than a teenager's diary. He looks at her selfies and throws her book on the ground in front of her. He says, look at that shot. You can do so much better. The diary's open to a page of her diary with a selfie from the first day of class this week. The one that she took in his classroom when we just met Max. 
Oh my gosh, so she can go back to that moment. <laughs> Max focuses on the old selfie from her diary, and as it comes into focus, she travels a few days back in time to the beginning of the week. She's back in class, hearing Mr. Jefferson saying, I could capture any one of you in a dark corner and capture you in a moment of desperation, and any one of you could do that for me. Oh, fuck. I mean, yeah, I'm glad that it came back around. Like, for. Oh, oh yeah. <laughs> oh, it's just still. It's so creepy. Oh. Max snaps back, realizing she is fully back living in the day Chloe gets shot by Nathan. Mr. Jefferson is chiding Max about taking a selfie. He once again asks her about the process that gave birth to the first self portraits. She can once again answer the Daguerrean process. The bell rings, and Max says, Time to change time. Max gathers her shit and realizes she needs to warn David and Mr. Jefferson about the dark room. She looks through the school pamphlet and gets David's number to warn him. She says, for once, I'm praying you overreact to this as much as you overreact to literally everything else. <laughs> Use his paranoia against him. Yes. And it works. <laughs> she texts David about Rachel Amber and the dark room and Mr. Jefferson. She decides she's going to enter the contest and keep Victoria away from Mr. Jefferson. So says she also gets to go to San Francisco and Mr. Jefferson is going to go to prison. <laughs> Max also goes up to Kate and tells her how loved she is. And she hugs her. Mm. She goes up to Victoria to yell at her about bullying and posting videos about other people and calls Victoria insecure. It's actually a really badass moment, but Victoria's like, what? And just plays dumb. So, like, she is going through and trying to set all these wrongs right. Yeah, it's very, you're cool, you're cool, fuck you. <laughs> While she's just kind of speed running her own game, I and guess. she's got the balls to say the things that she wouldn't say the first time around, where she just sat oh, yeah. back and let it all happen. Entirely. She's finally like, let's fucking go. Which is a good lesson to be like, don't just sit there and let injustices happen. Stand up for them. Hell yeah, girl. Or else the end of the world happens. Or else, you know, the moons and the whales. Yeah. Mr. Jefferson sees this and he's like, cool, stay out of it. Victoria stomps off and as she does, Max turns in her photo of herself looking at her photo wall for the contest. Mr. Jefferson says it means a lot to him and Blackwell for finally entering the contest. Because remember... He thinks she has a gift. The frame fades around her, just all white, and we see photos of Max and Chloe on the train tracks disappearing. We see the cop at the diner transition to the cop in the dark room. We see Mr. Jefferson being brought out of the school in handcuffs. Hell yeah. We see cops finding Rachel Amber's body. We see Max winning the photo contest. We see Chloe and Max hanging out in Max's dorm. Mm. We see Max entering a cab. Max wakes up and she's on a plane heading to San Francisco after winning the contest with her selfie. Who is she going with if, like, the teacher is in prison? <laughs> well, she's not sure yet. Okay. <laughs> she just woke up and it's a whole different timeline. That's fair. She starts looking around for context clues. And thankfully, the person next to her on the flight is reading a newspaper with the headline, local teacher arrested. Also, I just want to say, like, she didn't win because of Mr. Jefferson being, like, a kiss-ass towards her and wanting to, like, kidnap and kill her. Yeah. She legitimately won. Oh, yeah. With a fucking selfie of a selfie wall. Yes. See, I don't understand their <laughs> world of, like, what they consider art to be. 
yeah. completely off topic from the rest of the entire fucking story. But like, <laughs> she should not have won that competition. Let's continue. Yeah, that's that's fair. She checks her phone and sees a text from Chloe. So we know Chloe's alive. Thank God. Good. She says she fixed everything. Hell yeah. Relieved, Max is just like, okay, I can relax. I'm excited. I can enjoy this moment. I fucking did it. She's less like, I'm excited and I can be an artist. Oh my God, I'm an artist for the first time. I'm flying out to see my work being displayed in a gallery. I won a contest. This is fucking sick. She also is like, I feel like I'm in between realities and everything feels fuzzy. So this is kind of weird. And she looks over to her side and she sees Principal Wells is the one accompanying her in place of the newly arrested Mr. Jefferson. Okay. So like, that's kind of cool. The principal gets to go. Yeah. He was kind of a dick, but he's not as bad as Mr. Jefferson. Yeah. On the plane, Max's nose starts bleeding. Why does it start bleeding? That's no, she's not getting more powers. The world fades around her into white, and we see pictures showing Max both in the dark room strapped to a chair and then in a cab at the airport. When Max comes to, she's at the art gallery showcasing the Everyday Heroes exhibit. She's like, man, that's weird. There might be two realities. Anyway. <laughs> there might be two realities. I might have split time. I might have fucked this up. Anyway. Pleased, Max looks around the gallery gushing that like, oh my God, this space is huge. This is legit. This is so cool. Principal Wells is like, I'm going to the buffet, go with, mingle with other artists, I guess. <laughs> she sees her name on the wall along with other winners and artists. She's like, oh, this is real. Max wanders around the gallery and she hears people going, oh, did you hear about Mark Jefferson? He was supposed to be here tonight, but he's a fucking creep. Good. <laughs> Max wanders around looking at art and meeting people being like, yeah, I'm the girl from Blackwell. I didn't get like murdered. What's up? <laughs> I'm the survivor. Everyone seems to have heard what happened to Jefferson, and they're, like, really excited to talk to her. Her selfie is blown up, like, feet tall and feet wide, like, it's huge, and people are gathered to look at it. Max gets to see her work hanging in a gallery, and she's like, I am a real artist. As she looks on, her nose starts just pouring blood, and she grabs her head in pain. She gets visions of the tornado approaching Arcadia Bay. She hears Chloe scream her name, and she yells back, Chloe! Some gallery people ask if she's okay, and she says, Oh, shit, I'm sorry, I have jet lag from my Oregon to San Francisco flight. <laughs> South. It is in the same time zone. Right. It is just two states away. It is probably a two-hour flight. That's pushing it. That's that's a long flight for that flight. <laughs> yeah, that's with, that's with storm traffic, guys. Yeah. She hides and gets a call from Chloe saying the storm is real and coming and that she's terrified. Max realizes she didn't fix the tornado and the storm is still coming and Arcadia Bay will still be destroyed by the storm. That she's still going to lose Chloe. Max goes through the gallery mad that she didn't fix anything. That she did all this to save Chloe in the first place and Chloe can't die now. Max goes up to her selfie to focus and time travel. She gets interrupted by douchebags and art critics who keep coming up to be like, oh, let's talk about your piece. And she's like, leave me alone. I have to time travel. Right. She's like, I need to look at my own art. Yeah. Really intensely while I'm bleeding. She focuses long enough to go back. And now she's back in her dorm at Blackwell taking her selfie. But her nose is once again gushing blood and the world around her starts breaking apart. She's like, oh, no, I like actually fucked up the timeline. 
Yeah, no, the whole world is literally like just crumbling around her, isn't it? Yeah, nothing's in focus. There's ink splotches all over the wall, which has the same effect as exposed film. Max reaches over and tears apart the selfie that won the contest, that whole wall. We see images of Max winning the contest go away, of Max taking the plane go away. We see Max once again strapped to the chair in the dark room. Max comes to in the dark room again. She goes, oh, fuck. I thought I fixed everything. Did too much shit. Damn it. Mr. Jefferson is supposed to be in jail. I reset the reset timeline shit. And I just fucked it up. Mr. Jefferson tells her to stop spacing out. Her nose starts bleeding again. And Mr. Jefferson figures he probably gave her too big a dose. But she's about to die anyway. So whatever. You won't feel it when you die. Ugh. Max looks over and sees Victoria is no longer there. He says Victoria is exactly where she needs to be. Max scowls and Mr. Jefferson gets creepy about her losing her youth. Ugh. What? Oh, God. He tells her after he's done, no more nosebleeds. Max begs him to stop and he just tells her to be quiet while he works. Max tries to get herself free and Mr. Jefferson goes over to put another dose of drugs in the needle to put Max down for good. As Mr. Jefferson walks over, he says the final dose doesn't hurt. As he holds her neck, he hears the door open and runs to the doorway with a tripod as David comes in. Because Mr. Jefferson heard it, he had time to get ready. He's able to beat David with the tripod unconscious as David enters the room. Fucking step douche to the rescue, though. Right? Now that Max knows David is coming down to rescue her and she knows Jefferson's going to try and beat him up, She does quick rewinds, and as David comes in, she's like, watch out, Mr. Jefferson's got a tripod. So David's like ready to attack and ready to dodge and shit. She does this a couple times, and unfortunately, you see David die a handful of times (laughs) as you kind of see things happen and rewind and tell him to like duck or like, oh, look, he's got a gun or like, don't go behind that. He's going to kick you and shit like that, so... It's kind of a weird sequence of watching David die and adapting to warn him about how to survive the encounter. It's like playing a video game from like the third person almost where you keep getting it killed. So you're like, okay, we got to go back and play this part again until we get it right. (laughs) No, you have to fucking duck, man. Yeah, it's kind of funny that way. She's like playing a live action video game. Yeah. But David cleverly is a trained soldier and can take direction very well. So that actually came in handy, soldier. Eventually, Max does get it to where Mr. Jefferson gets knocked the fuck out by David, and David can untie Max to get her loose. After he does that, he immediately hogties Jefferson, and Max looks around and she sees all her photos were burned. And she's like, cool, no evidence. Right. Max can have like a nice heart-to-heart with David, who's like as human as he has ever been in this moment. If you do make it to the point where you tell David that Mr. Jefferson killed Chloe, David will shoot Jefferson in the head without even thinking about it. Fuck yeah, as he should. If you do not tell David that Chloe is dead, Jefferson does get arrested and he ends up in jail. Either way, David's like, look, you've been in here long enough. You got to get the fuck out of here. Max is like, thank you. I'm out. Right. He's like, I know I've been a dick before, but nobody deserves this. Yeah, he's like, you've seen some shit, kiddo. You gotta get out. 
I'm just a dick. I'm not evil. Yeah. Outside of the barn, Max walks into like a crazy heavy storm. It is raining, like pounding rain, and Max calls Warren to get the photo that he took the other night at the party so she can go back in time. Warren's at the diner with Joyce, and he tells her not to leave because the storm is crazy. Like, don't come find me for a fucking selfie, Max. And she's like, ha ha, nope, I'm on the way. <laughs> Max takes Jefferson's car, because like, what's he going to do with it? Right. And leaves the barn, driving through a literal apocalypse. Just fire and brimstone. Fully. Max gets down into downtown Arcadia Bay as far as she can, but there's shit through the roads. There's like fallen signs and cars everywhere. She can't really drive as close as she wants to. She finally gets cell service again and gets a message from Nathan saying he's sorry and he didn't want to hurt anyone. That everyone used him and that Mr. Jefferson is coming for him. You're not the fucking victim, Nathan. He warns Max that Mr. Jefferson is coming for her next. In his final moments, Nathan did make an honest attempt to warn Max. I mean, in this reality. It doesn't forgive a lot. Yeah, he didn't do it when the world wasn't ending. <laughs> I mean, his world did fully end. He, this is like the last thing he did before he died. Yeah. In town, everything is torn apart. Like I said, the roads are blocked. There's debris everywhere. The storm is truly tearing the entire city apart. Max looks up and sees the tornado looming over the city, like right there. She's able to use her rewind power to save some people that are like trapped in rubble and shit like that. Warn people about debris flying at them that will impale them. Crazy shit. Everyday hero. People are just fucking dead in the streets from how bad the storm is. And there's buildings on fire. Crazy shit. She makes it through and sees the diner with half the lights out. From the outside, the only letters lit up in Two Whales Diner is W-D-I-E. So fucking dark. <laughs> W-D-I-E. Oh, that's good. Would die. Max gets to the diner from behind it and sees Warren. If Frank is alive, he's also at the diner. If he's not, well, then he's not. Right. Joyce gives Max a big hug and she's like, oh my God, what are you doing out in the storm? What the fuck? Oh, well, come in, honey. Yeah. <laughs> you want a pancake? We're going to die. Warren is like, I can't believe you're here because how did you get here? It's literally the apocalypse. I said don't. He's like, I can't believe we didn't see this coming with all those warnings of like the whales and the birds dying and the moons. And she's like, yeah, yeah, shut the fuck up. Yeah, you guys really should have seen this coming. She needs that photo right now. And he's like, really? Because we're about to die. You don't need to see a picture of you and me that we took on a Polaroid, you fucking lunatic. But Max knows she needs to go back and save Chloe from getting shot. Max is basically like, okay, shut the fuck up. I'm going to lay some shit down. And he's like, okay. She goes, I had a vision of a tornado. I saw Chloe get shot in the bathroom, learned I could rewind time. She does a full TLDR of the entire game at this point. And he just goes, huh, all right. I'm not a real scientist, but it seems like chaos theory. And she's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Everyone's dead, but I need this photo. Do you believe me? And he's like, yeah, I saw a movie about this once. Uh, <laughs> it's this really obscure flick, actually, from 1932. Uh, it's called... No, I'm kidding. Like, takes like, the time to be a dick about yeah, it. Yeah, he gets super pretentious. He's like, I've totally seen this plot before. He says Max is the most amazing person he's ever met, and he's glad that she trusts him. Sure. 
Warren tells Max he's proud of her and gets he it, it's honestly just cringy the way he's like, thank you for trusting me with your secrets. And she's like, shut the fuck up. I don't like you like that. We are friends. Well, when he gives her the photo as a goodbye, Max can be like, thanks and dip. She can give him a hug or she can kiss Warren here. I want to see the stats on this. I'll bet you it's less than 1%. Kiss Warren goodbye. <laughs> Everyone kiss Chloe. Zero. Kiss Warren. <laughs> yeah. Max focuses on the photo of her and Warren at the end of the world party and is able to push herself back to that night. Chloe's there and Max runs up to hug Chloe. The sky is red like the stained photos and it still looks just ink splotched and fucked up. The stains of the sky roll upwards and shift the background and Max warns Chloe that she's going to die if she goes into the party. Max tells Chloe that Jefferson is behind everything, but Chloe isn't satisfied. Max has to rewind a lot to be able to finesse Chloe into calming down so she doesn't get herself killed again and again and again because that's the entire fucking thing of the game. I mean, Chloe is just a rage monster at this point. Oh, yeah. You have to remember, this is right after she discovered her best friend's dead body. Right. So she's like, I am pure fire. You do have to tell Chloe how you tried to save her dad and how she was dying and paralyzed and asked Max to end her life in the other timeline. Chloe hears that her dad was alive in another timeline and it stops her. Finally, Chloe becomes a normal fucking person with empathy and is like, I am so sorry I put you in that situation. Oh, shit. So she finally snapped out of main character syndrome and realized there's people outside of her. It took a lot of time for her to get there, but yeah. And I guess it took the person that she considered above her own, which was her dad. The only person, yeah. yeah. They plan to go back in time and tell David everything, including Victoria being in danger, and trust David to get shit done. They plan on staying in Chloe's room and keeping quiet to not get shit, like, popped off and just stay in a bubble. They walk off, and the screen goes white. We see photographs of David and Chloe and Max all talking. We see images of the cops raiding the dark room and arresting Jefferson. Max comes to at the edge of the beach watching the tsunami. Max is so happy to see Chloe alive and in the present time. Max is so fucking happy it finally all worked out and they're back together and alive. Chloe hugs Max and they have a moment of gratitude. They're having this conversation on the edge of a tornado as the waves crest above them and lightning strikes down below them. Wood is pulled into the air as it's sucked into this crazy tornado. And it's like a vortex. It's yeah. like, this is not like any, this isn't like out of Twister. Totally. No, this is like a mystical vortex that's opened up in the sky and is literally like eating the world. Yeah, this is insane. Chloe takes a moment. She says she'd like to think Rachel was helping from behind the scenes. After the party, Max and Chloe went home to stay the fuck away from Jefferson and then left the house to go to the lighthouse for safety for some fucking reason. Now they're on the beach. Chloe thinks the storm could be Rachel's revenge, which is probably like the line that also sparked some of those theories we talked about a little bit earlier. Yeah. They run up the beach towards the lighthouse and Max passes out. She keeps passing out, though. She's lost a lot of blood. That's true. <laughs> Max wakes up back in her classroom on the first day, confused, like, oh, God damn it. Jefferson is giving the same lecture and she starts to wonder if she's stuck in an actual time loop. The window is being pelted with birds who die upon impact. Oh, that's different. The windows become covered with blood, 
letting less and less light through as it's just stained red. The bell rings, and she looks around to see the entire classroom is empty. So nobody reacted to those dead birds? No. Okay. Looking back up, the windows are fine and clear. Max gets up and leaves the classroom, but as she leaves, Mr. Jefferson stops her to talk about her photo entry in the contest. He asks if she'd like to spend the rest of her life in the dark room. Ugh. Leaving the classroom, she's in the dorms, and the hallways are lit with candles. Max can open doors, but they keep leading back into the dorm halls. As she heads through one door, in a flash, she's back in her Rachel Amber outfit from Chloe. The walls are lined with Rachel's missing person posters. Going through Rachel's dorm room, Max becomes Victoria. And then through another door, she comes back to herself. After a few more doors, she's in the school hallway. But everything, including the conversations we're overhearing, are backwards. Everything is in reverse, and she watches as the hallway scene from the first day plays out. While everyone is moving backwards, she moves forward through them into the bathroom. Max opens the door to the bathroom and finds herself in a maze with Jefferson looking for her. Oh, this part is so fucked up. If, if this isn't clear, this is a horrifying dream sequence. Yeah, but this is also a horror sequence. Like, yes. When I say the things I remember, it, it's Chloe screaming, finding Rachel's body, and then this fucking hunt scene. This is genuinely hard and scary. Yeah. This area is dark and Jefferson has a flashlight, which gives away his position and gives it's like a flashlight tag situation. You can't get in his line of vision and you can't let the light touch you. Max creeps around these walls that are kind of positioned like a hedge maze and the hedge maze walls are filled with photos of the girls he's kidnapped and tortured. Oh, Max has to sneak around Jefferson and head towards the lighthouse where she can hopefully find safety. And like I mentioned, the game mechanic here, it's just flashlight tag. You can't get caught. So Max can rewind time if she needs to or if she's too close to a light. Jefferson is screaming at you the entire time about innocence and it's disgusting. And as you make it through the art walls hiding from both his light and the exposing light of the lighthouse, which is kind of putting you out there, you get closer to safety. Although, as you do get closer to the lighthouse, the walls also get smaller and sparser and just become stand-up displays of those darkroom photos. Principal Wells' voice comes on over a loudspeaker announcing the death of Max Caulfield. Inching closer more, Max ends up between lockers, hiding similarly to when she and Chloe were hiding out in the pool. Warren's voice comes on and echoes through, telling her to get in the car, asking if she thought it was hot that he fought Nathan. Max powers on in the dark and is eventually completely alone. Snowfall begins to lightly flurry around her, and she's on the bench by the lighthouse. The camera pans out, and she's actually in a snow globe on the fireplace in Chloe's house. She's inside that snow globe, watching the last day of William's life, watching as William answers the ringing phone, telling Joyce that he can pick her up and he'll be right there. She just has to relive the most horrible moments of this fucking game. I said dream sequence. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Max watches on, once again helpless as her best friend's father leaves to die. She looks through the snow globe at her younger self, knowing that it's her now and watches herself tear up that photo 
and drop it in the fire so she cannot come back and save William ever again. The scene fades out like the others, and then Max wakes up strapped to the chair in the dark room. God damn it. She's strapped to a chair as Mr. Jefferson shoots a willing Chloe, who's talking shit about Max, calling her a child. Jefferson agrees, saying Max never shuts up. Jefferson says everyone at Blackwell is so over Max. There's a flash from all those big lights, and Warren and Chloe are in the dark room now, and they kiss in front of Max. That, to me, would reveal, oh, this isn't real. <laughs> that's your flag for, oh, this isn't happening. Yeah, yeah. Not any of the other shit. No, that would be the one that's like, nope, that's going to snap me out of it. Nope, Chloe would never do that. <laughs> There's another flash, and Nathan and Chloe are on the couch in the dark room. They're talking about how terribly boring Max is. Another flash, and Chloe is alone, dancing in her underwear. Another flash, and Victoria and Chloe are cuddling on the couch, making out. That's more believable. Another flash, and paralyzed Chloe is in her chair, asking why Max got these powers and why Rachel is dead. Another flash, and Chloe is taking a picture of Max, saying she wishes Max never came back to Arcadia Bay. I think there's probably a lot of people that wish Max didn't come back to Arcadia Bay at this point. Yeah, Max probably wishes that, honestly. Yeah. However, I mean, if she didn't, none of this would have gotten uncovered, so. Yeah, that's true. Max is now in the bathroom at the Two Whales Diner. The bathroom door is locked and has a digicode lock to get out. Max finds the code to get out and the diner is full of people, but they are all staring at Max. They have guilty looks on their face and they look like they're blaming her for everything, but they are not moving. Max walks up on herself, sitting in a booth. She asks the other Max in the booth for help, who's dismissive and calls her a loser and a hypocrite for wasting her time powers. That she used her powers and there's people dead because of it. This mean ghost Max asks if it was worth it for Chloe, who she says has been bullying her, which is true. Yeah, she's been kind of a bully. Yeah, this mean Max says that Chloe has no respect for her, which is like us, and that Chloe will destroy. Chloe walks into the diner and yells at mean Max to leave her alone. The scene shifts to Chloe and Max in Chloe's truck by the lighthouse. You're back in control of Max, and you walk through memories of Chloe giving Max her dad's camera, of Max dancing in her bedroom, of Chloe and Max on the bench by the lighthouse, saying that seeing each other again was destiny. Max sees them again at the junkyard and walking the train tracks together. Max sees the breaking into the school again and finding the files on Nathan. Max sees them in the pool and sneaking out of the school. Max sees them waking up together and taking a selfie in bed. Max sees them kissing. Well, at least she's getting the positive memories now. Yeah, she's like, I'm walking through the most horrific shit, walking through my insecurities, but oh, right, my best friend. Yeah, there's some good in there, too. It hasn't all been a pure dark story. Yeah. Max goes through more memories of her and Chloe, and she hears their voices connecting and listens to her and her best friend rekindling their friendship as she walks closer to the lighthouse. Finally, Max comes up on the present and sees Chloe carrying her lifeless body up the hill towards the lighthouse. There's a flash and then Max is back in the present. She apologizing for passing out and they stop and they look out at the storm. I'm sorry, I gotta ask. What's the present at this point? Right now, Max and Chloe are heading towards the lighthouse, 
for safety from the storm. Got it. Okay. <laughs> I know it's confusing. This is why I try not to do time travel shit or shit with multiple endings. My nose is bleeding. I got so confused there <laughs> with all of the uh, time travel. That is reasonable. Uh, Max blames herself, thinking that her fucking with time and timelines caused the storm, and she's the root of death and destruction. Chloe says Max saved her and helped her find Rachel and that Max is amazing. Max is like, I did that, yeah, but look at the fucking tornado. Right. Chloe says, Max, this is the only way, and hands her the Polaroid of the butterfly in the bathroom. Chloe says Max can take the photo to change everything back. Everything will be fine as long as Max lets Nathan shoot Chloe and let Chloe die like she was meant to in the bathroom. Chloe says her mom deserves more than to die in a diner during a storm, that there's so many people in Arcadia Bay who deserve to live. Chloe finally admits that Max has been such an incredible friend and shown her nothing but love and friendship. She tells Max to make a choice, and whatever she wants, Chloe will support her decision. And you and I made very different choices here. Yep, and here is the last decision you will make of the game. The screen cuts to show... You have two paths, sacrifice Chloe or sacrifice Arcadia Bay. Yeah, I went with sacrifice Chloe. I was very much on the uh, the greater good situation in this one. Uh, I sacrificed Arcadia Bay in my run because... Because you're Chloe? No, because loyalty, bitch. Look, like... To Chloe? Yeah. To you? I'm pussy whipped. <laughs> All right, so for the sake of the show, Tom... Do we sacrifice Arcadia Bay first, or do we sacrifice Chloe? Let's sacrifice Chloe first. Okay. Because that's what I did, and this is your episode, so let's finish with what you finished. Okay, so I will start by saying, here's what happens when you choose sacrifice Chloe. Max says she's sorry that she doesn't want to do this. They hug, and Chloe says they have to save everyone. That Max can make those fuckers pay for what they did to Rachel. Max hugs Chloe and says she's going to miss her so much. Max tells Chloe she'll always love her. Chloe tells Max not to forget about her. Max focuses on the photograph and she's back in the bathroom, taking a photo of the butterfly. She lets the photo fall to the floor and she waits at the door for Nathan to barge in. Max slumps to the floor, hiding in the bathroom stall, and listens as Nathan and Chloe argue. And then starts sobbing as she hears the gunshot go off. After one shot, Nathan shakes Chloe's body, freaking out as she bleeds out on the bathroom floor. Nathan paces around scared and anxious as Max continues to hide in the back of the bathroom, crying as quietly as she can as she loses her best friend again. We see a sequence of photos as we see Nathan arrested by David and then interrogated. We see Mr. Jefferson arrested and Max consoling Joyce as images of Max and Chloe in the pool and on the train tracks disappear. Mm. Joyce gives Max some of Chloe's things to remember her by. The storm never comes, and Max looks out at the calm sea. We come back to the present, and Max is in all black, now on the bench by the lighthouse, looking out at the calm waters. The sun is setting, and the city is completely untouched. Max leaves the bench, and we see a funeral held for Chloe at the Arcadia Bay Cemetery. Students from Blackwell are there, and Joyce sobs as everyone heads towards Chloe's gravesite. 
Sad-ass Kate gives her condolences to Joyce, and David holds Joyce's hand. Oh, Kate was crying again? Yeah. Big fucking surprise. Tom! (laughs) Warren and Max stand together as Chloe's coffin is ready to be lowered into the ground. From a distance, Frank and his dog look on to say goodbye to Chloe, knowing they'll never get their money back. I was just going to (laughs) say. A blue butterfly lands on Chloe's casket and flaps its wings right before it's lowered into the ground. Oh. And now, let's see what happens if you sacrifice Arcadia Bay. You know, that was a pretty down ending. Yeah, this game isn't like a feel-good game. Yeah, it's not a happy game. No, this is like a drink wine in the bathtub game. Yeah, no, definitely. We started on such like high energy with this episode and not just because it went so long that we've lost energy or low energy it's just that like oh this is emotional we're just fucking sad now yeah i hope you guys listening have at least taken some breaks in between and like you know put this down for a minute and come back to it because god damn this is heavy you know what you deserve a cupcake after this shit you definitely do we both do can i have a cupcake yeah it's gonna be cupcakes (gasps) i'm so excited for cupcakes all right I want this cupcake, so we're going to jam through this. Let's sacrifice Arcadia Bay. Chloe says, Max, it's time. And Max is like, nope. And she tears up that fucking Polaroid of the butterfly. Chloe stands by her side and says, I will always be with you. Forever. She's like, you just sacrificed the world for me. I love you. They stand on the water's edge by the lighthouse and hold hands As the tornado approaches the town, it reaches town and so much destruction happens just short of Max and Chloe. Max hides herself in a hug while Chloe wraps her arms around and watches on as the town is completely demolished. The next day after the storm has passed, buildings and roads are destroyed. Homes are completely destroyed and the diner that held Warren and Joyce and Frank, if he was alive, is crushed. Chloe drives herself and Max through the parts of town she's able to. They see homes and homes countlessly just completely demolished into the ground. Max looks out the window as they drive on. They took one last look at all of what used to be Arcadia Bay. They take a deep breath and they leave Arcadia Bay together. Ride or die, girls. This is the most ride or fucking die thing ever because that is literally the only goddamn option you have at the end of the game. You know, it's kind of funny, though, because we acknowledge parents in this universe, unlike so many other teenage stories. Yeah, that's true. Max does get some texts from her mom and dad occasionally being like, hey, heard a girl at your school killed herself. Are you good? Yeah, it's just they're so uninvolved in Max's actual life. That, like, they don't even consider, like, let's just go back to where your parents are. Yeah, they're just like, let's just fucking flee. I guess we'll do the L.A. plan I had with Rachel. Like, let's go. I was already going to replace Rachel with you anyway, so (laughs) let's just uh, lean into it. She just slowly, like, puts the flannel around Max's arms and is like, you're my Rachel now. (laughs) Ooh, wear this feather in your hair. Let's see how that looks. Let's grow your hair out, by the way. You look much cuter with, like, a long moment. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, God, but... Man, is I played this game years ago and like re-experiencing it. Chloe's a bad friend and <laughs> you know, she's just really manipulative and she's really possessive of Max and like sh- there's points where she's very dismissive of Max and like really 
uses Max as a tool rather than like appreciates her as a friend, which yeah, I don't like. Which probably lent to me being like, yeah, I'll let Chloe die. Yeah, I get that. Because like I, at the end of the day, it's it's like one of those situations where you're like, you know, she's not a great person. Yeah. I, I didn't love her through every moment of the game. There were times where she definitely bothered me. And what kind of value does Chloe bring to the world at the end of the day? That was just like where my head went when I was making that final decision, you know? Yeah, versus hundreds and thousands of people that are in town. Yeah, exactly. And like, it's sad. It's a hard decision. I love games that make you make those really hard decisions. Totally. Like, I don't fault them for it. And I love this game. I really have always like looked upon this game as being a standout of a game. Yeah, it's it's so environmental experiential in terms of the atmosphere and like you really sympathize with these characters. Yeah, and the artwork and the music and just the atmosphere all tie together so incredibly well. It is a great experience and hopefully we didn't ruin it for anyone because I think you should all play it if you haven't or and hopefully this maybe inspires you to do another run through and analyze Chloe's character as she brings value to the table as a friend because what the fuck, Chloe? Like you're kind of a dick. Um, <laughs> but yeah, man, that is Life is Strange. Now, Life is Strange 2 does have a prompt that if you played the first one, you can decide if you saved Arcadia Bay or saved Chloe, which does affect some parts of Life is Strange 2. Nothing plot relevant, more Easter eggs. There's a character in Life is Strange, True Colors, the third installment that does reference some Arcadia Bay stuff. There is that prequel before the storm, like Tom and I mentioned, where you play as Chloe, as Chloe meets and becomes friends with Rachel, which is a really beautiful story. And then is heartbreaking. But, you know, that's just kind of par for the course for the Life is Strange world. So I'll tell you, like, the ending of Before the Storm is haunting. I was going to say, don't tell them that. I don't want to to say anything about what happens, but the ending of that game is fucking haunting. It still bothers me. Yeah. Like, I can say the catchphrase to you and, like, your entire, like, I can see the hairs crawl up your neck. Yeah, don't do it. I'm already upset. I'm not going to. It's too much of a spoiler. I'm in such a mood from going through this game, but thank you all for sticking with us. I apologize if I was a little nasally. Again, we're fighting some colds, but oh my gosh, that fucking juggernaut of a game it's a beautiful game i really appreciate it and it's all qtes so like fucking you don't need to be a pew pew about it you don't need to be a pro gamer to play this game at all no it's a cozy game if anything yeah it's a very cozy game it's a good weekend like rainy day weather while you're sick or something rainy day (laughs) like you play it during a storm during an actual storm who's fucking up the timeline (laughs) this one's called during the storm yeah Anyway, if you want to hear more from us, we have some DLC episodes available on our Patreon, which include, like we mentioned, Bioshock 2's Minerva's Den. We have the Cuphead DLC, the Delicious Last Course. We've got an episode on Tetris, which is wild and had me screaming. Yeah. Very fun content on the Patreon. So if you'd like to support the show, we'd love if you hang out with us there. There is some pretty cool stuff locked behind the paywall. Yeah, if you saw, they have finally dropped the trailer for the Tetris movie. And if you watch that trailer you're gonna sit there and think there's no fucking way possible any of this shit actually happened 
go to our Patreon and listen to the episode and you'll hear everything fucking happened. Yup, it's insane. Insane story and I'm really excited for that movie. Yeah, and if you want to talk to us on our private Discord channel, that's also available only to our Patreons. So come hang out with us. I play Pokemon Go with some of our Patreons and <laughs> it's fun. We had a really good uh, Hoenn day. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for joining us from Level Up Expo, if that's where you joined us from. Yeah. If you just found us organically, like some people who are at Level Up Expo said, thank you. Whatever game brought you in, we'd love to hear about it. Why don't you guys send us a message on Instagram, on Discord, something. Just tell us uh, which game brought you in. Yeah, we want to be friends. But anyway, thank you all so much. You can connect with us anywhere that we have touch points. We can find those all on theothercastlepodcast.com. That's theothercastlepodcast.com. And we'll be back next Wednesday with a whole another game to dive into. Yeah, that one's going to be not as heavy as this one, but there's still going to be a lot of dead people. I'm so tired. I know, but you know, this was another story of the power of friendship (laughs) persevering. Yeah, even if it's like not a good friendship. Right. (laughs) All right, Goomba. All right, Goombas, until next time, this is Tom and Andrea reminding you, don't skip the cutscenes. Bye. Bye.